So welcome to Bridge the Gap. This is the show where we basically are trying to bridge gaps of knowledge, and that's really the big goal. Um, uh, my name is Holden Stefan Roy. Joining me tonight is Natasha Marie, who is a wonderful artist from Montreal. I like to wear artist more often than, you know, because it's bigger, you know, it's like a lot. Uh, we'll get inside that. You'll see what the fuck I mean. If you don't know, but we just like listen to her stuff for a quick minute. So for those of you that was on the stream, you heard her versatility. You see what it is. Um, oh, nice. I feel like the best way to describe Natasha, having spoken to her, is a ball of ambition and charisma. <laughs> kind of like squeezed into a human entity it is like a, a very big experience to talk to natasha is something i can tell you and you're going to experience what i mean she's fucking intense in the best possible way um but she's been in the game for a minute like she's got stuff like on her soundcloud to prove that all the way back to like long times ago and uh she just dropped some stuff as y'all saw like january 21st brand new song came out we just watched a music video right before this well at least right before i threw it to be right back and so what we're gonna do is we're gonna learn about her story and we're gonna we're gonna learn knowledge nuggets from that we're gonna we're going to understand her better as a or, well we're gonna hear her story and through the sorry i'm a little tired it's not my best intro i apologize uh but like we're gonna learn a whole bunch of knowledge nuggets through her story and uh just that's what it is get to know her a little better so everybody watching you can always feel free to throw in your comments and things along the way on that note I'm going to start my uh, my first token question that I like to start with because uh, it's about your musical journey. It's a bit of a story, though. So one time my girlfriend's washing them dishes and she's like dancing around and shit to that Black Eyed Peas song. You know, that I got a feeling, which to be fair, I hadn't listened to that shit the entire time I've been fucking telling this stupid story. Right. I haven't listened to this song. I put it on the other day. Oh, my gosh. Is it as good as I remember? She was <laughs> listening to it all those times in my story. Uh, but yeah, it's a banger. So I was listening to it and really going back to the club days. And thinking about how once upon a time we was all like dancing to that. I remember in circles with the hands and everything because it's one of those tunes yeah. and it's fucking big. It's five minutes of big. Um, yeah. But then I really like thought about how fact that it's chores music now, which is kind of funny because, you know, club music becomes chores music. So, I mean, autumn club hits that are popping today are really going to be mom hits of the future type stuff, which I thought was kind of an amusing thought. But it really brought me back to being young. Right, because then I thought about my mom was bumping her disco. There were some tapes. We were a tape people with the sound sets connected to the amps through the speakers and shit. Yep. So my dad had his Zeppelins and stuff. My mom had her like those little store bought disco remix albums you could buy for three bucks at the local store that had all the hits redone by other people's. Um, oh my god, yeah, was real things. Um, and uh, yeah, anyway, with all that to say, like your your musical story starts kind of before you, right? Like, it's not like when you're like, oh, I like this for the first time. It, it's a little bit earlier than that. It really starts with yeah. the sounds that are around you as a really young youth. So I try to contextualize it like that to bring you back to being like five. And what's going on in the musical sounds of your life, Dan? What was the chores, the car rides, the siblings? Was it tapes, vinyls? You know, just tell us a lot about the beginning of your musical journey when you had no control over it. Okay. Great way to open this, by the way. So with my dad, my dad had his sound system. He had his boom box and there was a lot of cassettes. Okay. So I grew up five years old. My dad was a single father and he was very musical. So yes, chores around the house. We were listening to um, Belle Biv DeVoe, Poison. Um, 
we were listening to oh my god it was it was interesting because it varied a lot of elton john okay which says a lot about my dad <laughs> um who we mentioned throughout this whole thing because it's kind of hard not to like i'm ready to big up everyone in my family i'm not gonna sit here and be like well it came from my imagination like no my family plays a major role in this so my dad played a lot of that a lot of michael jackson he made sure that i knew man in the mirror one thing my dad used to do is um he would test me so you know he'd play a lot of like wilson phillips now we're going back i'm an 80s baby so you know wilson phillips i don't know if you know any songs by them or if anything comes to mind uh there's one song really big song called hold on um so just hold on for one more day hold on very 80s okay but it was all over the radio shanette o'connor uh nothing compares nothing compares okay so radio and he would also um teach me like dance moves he loved to dance like my dad would actually ignore me and like full-on be dancing and i was just like dad 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 and he was just like I'm busy. Don't you see? I'm busy. Let me see you do that move. And so it became this like competition. My grandmother's side now, my grandmother would throw a lot of like parties. And, you know, I grew up in the West Indian culture where we lime. And when we lime, that means we hang. So we're constantly throwing house parties. So we'd walk into my grandmother's house and she'd be playing records, only records. And it was old school stuff. And it would jump again from Kenny Rogers to oh my god man luther vandross all the older older hits you know um oh my god they're in my head like a jukebox i might not know exactly who sings what forgive me but older songs aretha franklin patty labelle mm. all that good stuff i feel you i feel you um i have a quick question before we continue i yeah. keep forgetting to ask you but it feels like it should probably be important but uh it fucks up my first question vibe but still were you born here? I was born in Ontario, but if we're being technical, but I was raised here. I came when I was like two months old. That's fair. Um, what we've established talking to the New York guys is it's where you went to high school that counts. It's not really anything before. It's where you went to high school, according to all the New York hoods, that solidifies what hood you're from. It's not where you were born. It's where you went to high school. That's something I learned in the last month. <clears throat> Well, the interesting thing about me is I kind of grew up in different boroughs throughout the city. I have memories from so, young childhood all the way up into my teens, bouncing from Cote de Neige to Ville Saint Laurent to NDG. Um, and then we bounce back, go back to NDG, go back to Cote de Neige. So I went to high school uh, in Saint Laurent, Couverture. I went to Lauren Hill Academy. Um, we'll and I grew up like, we'll get sorry? We'll get to high school. Okay. I was just wanting to establish where you were born because we were at the infant, like young, young you. And then I'm like, oh shit, you know, being born, that's earlier than five. Okay. We have to make sure we get that. Yeah. Down. So let's go back to your well, youth. Well, so it's Sailor Rome. It's Sailor Rome, 100%. That's yeah. dope. Um, but yo, uh, Willie's asking on vinyl or cassette. I think you said your dad was cassettes and radio and your, your grandmother was vinyl, if I recall correctly. Yeah. Um, and Absolutely. Then you said your grandma was doing the classics and we've already established because, yo, what we heard in your sound was versatility. And right away, we can see where the roots of that versatility comes from, because what I've noticed is people who have that like generational influence like that 
actually come yeah. at it with like a lot more versatility than the people who are a little more pigeonholed into their experiences growing up. Yeah. It's just what I, I noticed. I could be a hundred percent wrong, but I feel like it's true in your case. Um, no, you haven't been wrong yet from what I've seen. <laughs> uh, that's not true. I'm, sure I'm wrong. I'm, I'm like wrong all the time on little minute. Well, that things. I've seen. Fair that enough. I've seen. I respect that. Uh, he just missed the bad ones. <laughs> uh, but uh, I mean, nobody's perfect. I'm just trying to say. I'm I'm trying to be humble with it. Um, <laughs> I'm terrible at being humble. Is the truth. But it's what it is. Working on it. A work in progress. Um, but for real. So you you're know, young. Man. So you're young. And that's the beginning. And we already learned you're getting your dance on and your dad gets super into it. You got your sing on. So you're already, I, I'm assuming, I just actually assumed. But uh, are you singing at that point already? Are you already like getting super musical with it? Or are you just like kind of enjoying it? Enjoying it. Absolutely. Like, like a lot of these songs that I grew up hearing, um, they're attached to memories of my childhood. So like there's certain songs that I hear and I'm like, hold up. And I just kind of like disappear because again, I moved around throughout the city. Mm -hmm. So certain songs would remind me of when we lived in La Salle, when we lived in Cote d'Ange. It was like, it's like remembering different lifetimes. It's pretty crazy. So I already attached uh, emotions to music from a very young age, definitely. But I wasn't singing it, just enjoying it. All right. So usually my next question kind of flows more into the more your personal musical identity, right? Because sometimes people have some crazy childhoods though i've actually heard a couple where like i'm like fucking three years old and i'm doing and i'm like what the fuck and then i'm like okay fair enough but usually what happens is the next question is more about when you started to go oh shit this music thing's pretty cool i like that and, and a lot of people have a specific moment where it migrates from yo there's music around music to yo that's my shit and do you remember that first moment how old you are what was going on when I had like developed like a favorite sound or something? Not even like a favorite, but like, okay. So I'm telling you for myself, I'm 12 years old and I hear the Thon yeah. song. And I, before right. that, music was a thing. But then it yeah. wasn't even the music video. It was just the actual right. song. It's so catchy. Like, da, 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 da. it was everything about it. You could sing right. along to it. It was this mix of hip hop and R&B. It was just, it was just yeah. cool, right? And yeah. I mean, I guess R&B is kind of, anyway, that's a whole other conversation. But like, for me, it was that song. And I don't remember giving a shit about music before the Thon song. But I remember it was in a specific class and we listened to it as a class like 10 times in a row. And after that, I gave a shit about music. Side note, I did a choreography to that at Lauren Hill Academy. So when I talk about repetition, playing the song over and over to get the moves right, Trust me, I know what that song does to you, right? So yeah, I concur. That's You're not crazy. That's a good example. That's a great um, song. Okay, so to be honest, um, it was like a beautiful chaos because from a young age, I can say that I, again, I, I was like emotionally attached to certain songs for certain reasons. So from a young age, I was like, ooh, love this song. Ooh, love this song. Again, <laughs> sorry, again, with my grandmother, it's like, we played a lot of soca in her house because she's from Trinidad. So we play soca music, which is super up-tempo. And it's like happy music. It doesn't matter like what's going on. It's contagious. Like you can't mm. not hear the drums. You, you understand? It's it's like, it's crazy. I do so, only because I discovered that fucking with Preach and Cobia recently and it fucked me up. And I'm like, how did I miss really? this for like 33 years? Wow. Dude, <laughs> soca is, listen, without getting too far off, but 
I think Soka is making bigger moves now the last like two, three years, maybe even five years, just because of YouTube. And like a lot of these Soka artists are throwing everything on YouTube. So I actually um, subscribe to these DJs that play nothing but Soka music. So as soon as a Soka song drops by any artist, I get the notification. Mm. I think if we had access to that years ago, it would be a lot farther now than it is. But I think it's like, you know, yeah, it's super dope. So my grandmother, again, we'd have these parties. And my grandmother used to have this thing where she'd say to all the grandchildren, because my grandmother had 11 of us, but 10 of us that used to like really be around. And um, she would have these contests and we'd have to dance if we want dessert. And it was just a way to have everybody interacting. So imagine me, I'm five years old, where my grandmother's living in Saint Laurent on Dudemaine, actually, to be specific. Um, Fair enough. And it was just that, right? Right across the street from the train tracks. So it was like, you know, we all had dinner. We're all full of energy. We're all happy. You know, the adults are drinking. Everyone's having a good time. And we're all in the living room and we stand around. We're all standing in this huge circle and she has all the grandkids come in the middle. And she's like, if all you want dessert, all you have to dance. And we were like, ah, like the spotlight was just like, are you kidding me? And I was the second oldest cousin. So I kind of felt like this responsibility. I was like, I can't cower out, you know? So I started doing a little, a little move back then, but that's kind of where I was like, this is my thing. You know, it's, it's like joyous, it's happy. But more specifically, I know what you're, where you're going with this. I have to say I was nine when I heard a song that really made me think, this is my, this is my that, thing for me. That's it. That's the moment. Okay. So that's Lisa Loeb. Um, I forget the name of it. You say, I only hear what I want to. It's like super like light rock, I guess. You say, I, I talk a lot, but I resonated with the lyrics. Okay. And I was like, yeah, the song is about me. It was like my re- my rebellion song because she's mm-hmm. like, you don't understand me. I'm gonna be me anyways. I'm gonna break the mold. You can't control me. And I was like, I like this. I respect that. So after that, <clears throat> um, so you're hearing that. Is it like a tape or is it the radio? Like how are that you? That was the radio. So like at that point, you know, you probably start caring more about music. How do you start getting music? Are you like, is it the CD times? Is it the tape times? Or is it the, yo, I got to record the mixtape off the radio times? Not yet. But this was just a couple years before that. Okay. So this was still like, you know, my dad had a big cassette collection. It was just something, you know, the way you have your books on your bookshelf, it's a part of you. It's a part of who you are. It's a part of your bedroom look. That was cassettes for us. My grandmother had a big thing on the wall and it just had cassettes. And you know, these, I don't know, I guess she would have like, my dad used to like record these cassettes for her. I'm not sure how he would do it. I guess he would rip it from the radio and make a cassette. So she had burner cassettes basically. And you know, all my dad's handwriting on the back with all the names of the songs and you know, things like that. So cassettes were big for us. It was a vibe, definitely cleaning music, a lot of Bob Marley. Like I, there's, something for everything for every day there's a vibe for everything so it was still very much cassettes but i was starting to care more about the radio i was exposed more to the radio and i remember listening to it like really Mm. caring like conversations could be going and i'd be actually like low-key listening to the radio i like that what was your favorite radio station back then so i didn't know any radio stations at nine but when i got to 10 and 11 it was Mix 96. All right. Absolutely. Like it was the radio station. Like there was Q92, 
for me, Q92, my grandmother used to set her alarm to play Q92 to wake her up in the morning. So Aaron and Tasso, like, I actually met Aaron and Tasso, but that was her vibe, right? But Mix 96 was like my vibe. Like, this is the young people vibe. You don't know about this, Granny. You know like, this I is where it's heavy. at. My mom was into that Q92 shit. That was mom music to me. It wasn't quite grandma, but yeah. mom music. Yeah. Uh, all the romance shit, all the like fucking yeah. like ladies calling in and requesting songs for each other. Yep. All that stuff. Never gonna get you up. But never then, gonna um, let you down. Mix 96 was hip with it. It played Backstreet Boys yes. and shit. Exactly. Don't even. Yo, it is. I was a Backstreet Boys fan. Me too. I was like. Big heavy. Really? Yeah, absolutely. And I don't, okay, look, there is no way that you can objectively have a conversation about these Backstreet Boys tracks. Like, look at that, you know, like that build up right before the everybody and whatever track that is where it's like, yes. boom, 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 yes. boom, boom, yes. boom, yes. everybody, and then it just slams in exactly. and the, that is perfection in music, yep. okay? I'm so happy we're having this and conversation. I fucking bump your NSYNC's, uh, No Strings Attached is... Yeah. One of the first CDs I ever had. Okay. Damn. Pink's Can't Take Me Home was the very first CD. <gasps> very first CD I ever okay. got. Okay. No, fucks with that this was shit. In my, that was in my first... If that wasn't in my first five, it was definitely in my first ten. And I bought it on Flatbush in New York City, so I felt like a G, because no one had it when I came back to Montreal. I was a uh, Columbia house. We had X many records. Pick that shit. Have that shit ordered to your fucking house. Okay, so my grandmother, absolutely. Like, once we left the vinyl stage, the CD stage came in heavy, kicking the door, boxes coming in. She ordered, like, 20 CDs, and eventually I was like, can I get a CD in there? Like, can I see the paper? Can I make an order? So, like, you know, I graduated to that. It was like, good behavior, okay, come pick a CD, you know, and then come pick a VHS, and then, you know, definitely big on that, mm -hmm. definitely. Part of the reason why I didn't have, like, a limit or a boundary as to what I liked versus what I didn't like. It was like, as long as it was hot, as long as it was on the radio, as long as it was in a movie, I knew it, I needed to learn it, and it became a part of my life. So popular music, definitely. I took an interest in popular music very early on. I love it. And I think that's really cool. And I'm glad you're sharing all this because, yo, first of all, people's relating, right? Like, Jamal Hussein's like, yo, Backstreet Boy all day. Audio files no. like fucking good times. Willie's like, wow, how the fuck did you get into hip hop? You know, like, we got fucking, like, Rico Blocks just popped in out of nowhere and said, what's up? Rico! CB Max up, up in here. Tech Luciano's up in here. Everybody's up in here. He even said he's babysitting and doing a good job and making sure everything's proper. Good. I was like, I don't want to cut the first hour because the kids are still up. But I'm, hey, babies, if they're watching. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was, yo, Backstreet Boys. Like, I was one of, yo, my walls. You couldn't see the color of my wall. Do you remember you the couldn't. sticker was... packs that came out for the Backstreet Boys and the Spice Girls with the fucking album collecting things? And you could, like, collect little fucking sticker things and put them in. I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there because, yo, I got big it's, memories of the Backstreet no. Boys. No, that's new to me, but I do remember the cards. So there was this, it was only in a French magazine. I think it was Sejour. Only in Sejour can you find these Backstreet Boy collectible cards. And I was definitely like running errands for my grandmother and like taking the change and copying one of these seven, seven jewel, seven day things. I love it. Um, so yeah. I, yeah, I was collecting those. That's real cool. I'm glad we're taking this trip down memory lane together. It's a good time. For sure. 
And uh, AJ was my favorite in case anyone, because everyone had a favorite, right? AJ, mm. the the bad boy, that was the one. But his voice was so soulful. It was like, oh, it just hit different, you know? Like we waited for AJ's part. Personally, I didn't really have a favorite Backstreet Boy because um, I wasn't like willing to let myself do that. Uh, but I totally was down with Sporty Spice. That's what it is. Mel C was my shit. Sporty? Well, yeah. she's the equivalent. She is the the AJ of the Spice Girls, in yeah, my that's opinion. Fire. She's the bad girl. That's dope. Yeah. You know, my girlfriend's yeah. like Kevin for the win. It is what it is. Hey, Bonnie. Um, yeah. Kevin, and Tex yeah. says, are they in bed? You good. You can cuss. <clears throat> uh, okay, good. <laughs> nah, um, nah, this is dope, though. I'm appreciating this whole thing. Um, so I guess at that point, you're starting to get a musical identity. Have you been bit with the bug yet? Are you like, nah, this my shit? Or are you still just kind of like you're a passionate fan of music? Uh, when, when we enter the Backstreet Boy phase? Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, that's like you're getting into music more. Because, yo, I mean, there's the what usually happens, just to kind of frame it a little differently, is you have your fandom. And then somewhere, yeah. and it could be between, I don't know, as early as 10 and as late as fucking 30-something is in these interview series, you transition into, like, becoming a person. And I get yeah. the feeling in your case, it's like you were probably not, like, 27 when you decided to get into music for Real Reels. No. So I'm assuming no. that happened a bit earlier on in your journey. I think it was inevitable. I don't think there was any way to escape it. Not that I wanted to. I, it just felt like it was in the cards. Like... And I also thought it was normal. I thought everybody was as musical as my family was. I thought we all bumped cassettes. And I think people cared a lot more, not that they cared more about music, but people my age, well, maybe that's not true either. Mm. But for a 10 year old, a lot of the girls in my school cared about music, which I thought maybe it was just a trend. It was just, maybe that's what it is today, I don't know. But as soon as the Backstreet Boys came out, I found out because of some girls at school. When they showed interest, I was like, okay, what are these guys about? And then you know how it is with young girls and young boys? It's the same thing. It's a trend, right? So the guys were watching wrestling, and they would bring in their little magazines and, like, you know, talk I about the matches this. they watched and the Shawn Michaels. Yeah, yeah, they were all doing the Shawn Michaels. And we were like, oh, my God, their new song. So it became a lyric thing. And this was even before Backstreet Boys. Like, my girls and I, I wish I speak to, like, none of them today, but... <laughs> we listened we watched friends and so we would learn the theme song so we knew the theme song then um you know the spice girls backstreet boys in sync all these things became like competitions because it was like you weren't cool if you didn't know the song front to back then it became about the dance moves so whenever there was a talent show like at this time i was going to carlisle and tmr and i was in grade five i did grade five and grade six there and it was all about the choreographies so we had a talent show and it was like what are you guys going to do? We're going to do, uh, you know, what is it? I'm, I'm break my heart. What is that one? Don't break my heart. What is it? Oh my God. It's like getting the fucking old country song. No, the Backstreet Boys. Oh, Should I know texting in it right now. I don't know. No shit. I don't know. Anyways, don't break my it's heart. It's there, man. Let's look at my lost. brain, but I hear you. Actually, it's... no, it was, it was the first one, the very first hit. Like, uh, uh, uh get down. Oh my gosh, get, get down. down. I fucking remember that. Get down, Dude. get down. Right. And move it and move it I had no idea down. what the fuck that shit was about when I was young. Oh my gosh. Me neither. I really think the about guys it floating and rapping the verse makes no sense. But we learned the choreography, <laughs> everything, right? So me and my girls were like, okay, we're going to do two rows. And no one taught us this. 
we were like, miss, can we have a room to practice at lunchtime for our talent show? And they're like, okay, ladies. And so we would like practice at home, put our heads at school, practice, put our heads together and then go home and like drill it in and then come back. Cause we only had like three lunch practices, you know, before the talent show. So I remember already kind of being in that, like, remember the moves, you know, and we all have a part, you know, you're Nick, you're Kevin. And I'm like, I'm AJ, I'm, I'll be AJ, no problem. I'll do the rap part. I'll do the whatever. So we're talking like age, what's grade five and six? That's about 11. Nine and 10. No, it's 10, 11. Yeah. It's 11, 12. Yeah. I was, 12. I entered that high age. school in 11 and then turned 12, something like that. So, so yeah, for me, it was like early 10. One. Yeah. Or maybe 10, 11. Whatever, man. That was it. Let's say that's age 11. Trained. So we'll that's it. when it became like, you know, know your lyrics and the radio. I remember this girl brought like a Mariah Carey, the jukebox, was it the jukebox? Fantasy album, whatever it was. And she was like, she borrowed it from someone. She's like, oh my God. And there was a song she loved and it would make her cry. And I was like, what's the deal? Like, what is this? What is this emo stuff? You know, I'm like, what's all this? What's everyone talking about? And my dad loved Mariah Carey. So I already knew who she was, but that's when Mariah became important. And that was actually grade four and I was nine. So. Mm. It was already like by the time I got to Carlisle and the Backstreet Boys came in, it was just like, yo, let's get these moves. Yo, I've was... been practicing lyrics. Yeah. I don't know. I hope all the parents are like paying attention to some of these gems that I'm learning. Like these talent shows are fucking big. Like I did talent show shits and I'm an entertainer today. You did talent show shits. You were an entertainer today. So many people who did talent show shits ended up being entertainers in the future. Anyway, that was yeah. just a little observation. Um, no, it's true um that's cool though so you're like already ready to go when you hit high schools and whatnot or whatever so what's happening at this point in your life tell us a little more as the, as the journey progresses okay let's just say that music for me spit it just it start, yeah music for me started off as you know um like the soundtrack of our lives at the time okay so as far back as i can remember um, you know, like I said, my dad's playing music and we're dancing in the house. But then I also used to like remember waking up at like, you know, sometime in the night and I'd catch him in the living room having a mug of tea. And he would have his art book out because he was an artist and he would have his his boombox and he'd be playing Elton John or whatever it is that fit that vibe. Um, so, you know, for me, it was like it was just the soundtrack of our lives. At that particular point in my life that you're asking about, age 9, 10, or 11, um, that was uh, like a really pivotal point in my life where things went from like carefree, young, childish, innocent to like, it's time to start growing up. Okay. And, and I'm trying to like talk about this without coming off the energy, but we got to keep it real too. So basically... Focusing on music, right? It was fun, whatever. And then at nine, grade four, I started turning to music for different reasons. So now music meant something to me on a different level. So it was starting to hit different. It wasn't about the dance moves and, and it was about the lyrics, but now it was more like singing. Let's sing the lyrics because they hit. And I really want to sing this because it's it becoming therapy. So, um, yeah, just so That's you know, like, when, yeah. this kind of stuff is really cool to share because a lot of people go through that. Like a lot of people will relate and heavy. And as much as I feel what you're saying about the vibe, 
the vibe is gonna have serious moments and then we're gonna go back into more positive moments and if you gotta talk about whatever it's part of your journey and it helped create the artist that you are and everybody's gonna appreciate every truth that you share regardless for sure for sure um okay so yeah it became more it became more therapeutic and there was a little bit of like how good can you sing the song too especially with that whole Mariah Carey situation because Mariah has pipes, right? And I remember girls in my in my class that were like singing it and they'd sing it at lunchtime. We'd like huddle up in the hallway or in the bathroom with the bathroom acoustics. And they'd be like, I really love this part. And they'd start singing it. And they had they weren't shy. I was very quiet kid. So like I wouldn't sing in front of them, but I'd go home and I'd find the song and I'd practice it and realize like, hey, I might be a little bit good at this. Even if I'm not hitting the notes the same, it's like, I can convey this. Like I can portray this, you know? Like I'd, I'd do a really good lip sync battle right now, you know? Mm. And I think I was developing little low tones that were kind of like, hey, you should keep that up. I think you have a little something there. So I was starting to care about how I sounded when I sang these songs, just as much as I was caring about how it was helping to heal me. So at nine, my dad passed away and it was a big deal because he was a single parent. So he was all I knew. And so nine years old, my foundation is just like, it crumbles. And then the search for my identity started. So this is where I say it became therapy. And then I'm kind of like needing, I'm forced to grow up. And, you know, he was the person who knew me best. So to have the person who knows you best, just exit the room. It was like, I don't know. It's like I had the opportunity to kind of rebuild myself, but I was kind of like a stranger to a lot of people because you're nine. You don't know who you are yet. Even your family, they're like, did you do your homework? How was school? Okay. And then the conversation ends there. They don't know who you are, who you're becoming, what you're thinking about, what you're really feeling. So I was quiet, keeping to myself, mourning my dad and turning to music. And that's kind of where something like a seed was planted. I'd have to say. Right. It's cool that you shared that though. So thank you. Cause yo, on the real, a lot of people go through stuff like that. Um, I was, I never went through death that young. I got really lucky. It was really, really late in life when I first had to deal with death. So like I was blessed in that regard, but like, there's going to be people who hear that and I'm going to resonate with them. And it's going to be like a, a, you know, a comforting thing to know that they're not alone and all that stuff. But, yeah. um, uh, we have a comment on Facebook. It's from Jody Scott, who I know that's not the real name, but I'm blanking on the real name right now. And it's saying that you look amazing. Um, oh, thank you. And you look great in that dress was another one. So uh, just to thank convey you. that. Actually, I just want to shout out anyone who may be watching from TikTok at some point, because I actually asked them what I should wear and they, this was the winner. So I was like, all right, I'll throw it back on. That's fair enough. I'm like not set up to stream to TikTok because it's actually more complicated than one would think. And the one I'm using to restream doesn't even support TikTok and mobile is a complicated, it's a vertical game and everything in my life is horizontal. It's like literally I'd have to go do a whole second setup to stream to TikTok and I'm like, that's a lot right now. Twitch is hype. I like Twitch. <laughs> um, but uh also i don't know copyright's different i don't know the rules for streaming like it's cool if you use like the TikTok system like they have yeah. their system 
I don't think it's cool for me to stream music directly to TikTok. Like, I think they're more on that, like, Facebook tip. So I don't want to, like, fuck shit up either. So I want to know the rules before I do something like that. But you also, I can age gate this. I smoke pot, you know? I don't really want to be fucking shoving lives down a thing with a youthful fucking audience. Just, right. so I, just I saw a, a comment about TikTok also, and I just like, was responding to it in real time. But that's why I'm not live on TikTok now. I'm not set up for it, and I don't know the ethics of weed and kids because I don't think you can age gate a TikTok live. I think it's just like you put an 18 plus and then, you know, that's going to really yeah. keep fucking kids away, right? Oh, look, it's for adults. Double click twice as fast. For sure. Nah, so, yeah, good, I just I wanted to add something, too, because like there, there's definitely times where I'm going to mention. I already said like my dad's going to come up many times in this. And that's just because my, my dad, my family, everybody, I'm not going to sit here and take full credit for anything because I have all of them to thank. Um, but I just want to say, like, my story, first of all, I knew I was going to write a book since I was a young girl. I knew it and we could get into that whenever you want as a writer like before music well music was already there in a little bit in the early stages but writing kicked in very quickly even before I started finding my voice and learning Backstreet Boys songs um so there came a point where I was like I'm definitely gonna write a book um so I've already kind of established what my story is and it's a warrior's story so there's definitely there's there's low, the lowest of lows, and then there's the highest of highs. It's literally like tragic chapters and then triumphant chapters that make you want to root for the for the, the the protagonist. Like yes, and that's why I say there's like you know, there's a lot of people yo, they meet you at mistakes. Your life, like yo, people <laughs> don't get it. Like I relate to how you see your life, and I aspire to the same level of things you aspire for. So for me, it's just dope to listen to you share this awesome that makes me happy but honestly it's like if it wasn't for writing i don't or if it wasn't for having this image of like my future in a book um i don't think my i don't think i would have the same acceptance and gratitude that i have now mm. it would have just been like you know, why me? My life sucks. These are the type of cards I've been dealt. What the hell? But at some point, I did experience that. But then soon after, it's like something happened that made me say, hey, holy shit, you can use this, bro. And then I was like, maybe this is why everything's happening the way it does. So at that point, it was like, okay, like the craziest things could happen to me. And my moment of strength would be like, Put that in the chapter put that in the book okay how are you going to tell this story in a way where you know it, there's a light at the end of the tunnel Yo. you know we're focusing on what comes after this right it's not just all of them. we call that solutioning <laughs> in corporate america oh <laughs> solutioning what? it's when you Dude. are confronting a problem and you find a way to create a perspective that allows you to find the solutions within that problem so hold on, because I took notes. Okay, I, I, took I wrote notes. it down. I'm like, she's prepared, yo. She knew what she was getting into tonight. <laughs> because I'm a writer, bruh. And you can't just say something and be like, anyway, gone with the wind. It's like, no, guys, hold on to that. Use that. And that's why I want to write a book, because you can read it, put it down, brew on it. You can reread it. You can take two days to read the whole book, or you can just go back to it every so often. It can take you three years to finish the book. Either way, what's there is there for you to take in how you want to take it in. Because to me, there's so much magic in it. Like, there's a lesson in everything, you know? Like, it's all perspective. 
perspective is the key word here, right? So yeah. I just want to say with the solutioning, because I didn't know that was a real term, but I did actually write, what can I do to change it? Yeah, I would ask what's wrong with this picture and more important, what can I do to change it to improve it? So uh, to the benefit all involved. Oh so it's like, gosh, that's crazy. at okay. one point, yeah. My boss, when I'm like, but this, but that, but hold in, what can <laughs> you do to solve right. the problem? And I'm like, right. yes, yes, sir. You're right. That's true. That's a better way to look at it. Right. What can, what can, what can, <laughs> I love it. Let's right. go back to your story though. Cause uh, mm -hmm. we're not, we're like at high school and that's dope. That's Correct. for the record. If it takes us on to get to high school, it's actually a compliment to you on how interesting you are. We're going to go back and forth, bro. Most of the time when I tell my story, I jump and I jump. So this is great. That's <laughs> cool. But I'm like way more aware of the time than you are. And like, yes. I know the normal flow, trust you on the, yo, Natasha's probably going to need like three parts. That's where we're at with this, <laughs> which is a compliment too. You're fucking, yeah. you're so, look, listen, you bring like a level of artistry and y'all, just so y'all know, I've seen her perform live, like no lies. Yeah. I mean, that's way down in the story and yo, she fucking rocked that shit. It was like, <laughs> it was yeah. like. Okay, I, I don't know if like in the in the most positive way like a diva hit the stage not like the <laughs> negative connotations that come with it but like the star power that comes when when a diva hits the stage oh and my that Lord. is some specialness you know like energy by herself she had like a oh, whole man. crowd behind her you could imagine by herself anyway yeah. so let's go back to like your high school times so you, you okay you, you learn this you get to singing as a therapeutic means to cope with shit i think a lot of yes. us actually have a very similar version maybe different circumstances but a similar experience yeah. personally similar one different circumstances but then you're in high schools let's say and what's going on in your life and how does things start to progress for you Okay, so for a long time, there was nothing really interesting, entertaining um, going on in my life. It was pretty boring, you know, okay, after my too. dad passed, my grandmother, yeah, my grandmother raised me and it was just me and her. And, you know, we all mourn differently. But then the interesting thing about the age I was when all this started happening is that I noticed other people my age, other kids my age, we're starting to develop, you know, their emotions and the hormones are kicking in and we're all becoming emo and we're all going through the like, I hate you, life sucks, you know, I hate curfew, whatever. So like we were already becoming emo as the hormones are kicking our ass, right? So I'm realizing like at home, my story might be pretty different from a lot of the peers I, I know, but like we're kind of all going, like you just said, through our own similar crap, especially where music is involved. Like we already have our favorites you know, like we would obsess over everything. It starts from when you're young. Like my kids know the shows inside out. And I'm like, you want to watch something different? They're like, no, put on the same thing. And they want to learn it till they can lip it. So I think when we were all in high school, like we would have our favorite albums, our favorite bands, whatever. And we would just like listen to that over and over and over again. And I think as we matured, then our taste would mature. And as we're like exiting this one cycle of our, you know, hormonal periods, we're entering another one. And like, you know what I'm Yo. saying? Like, you know, I don't think we've actually talked about puberty in music before. This is a first. Yeah. And it's really important. Puberty is fucking huge yeah. on music. It's like the hormone yeah. raging non monsters and stuff. Like that show that has hormone monsters on Netflix. I don't remember the name of it. Whatever. It's what it is. Uh, that's big interesting. 
Uh, what yeah. was some of your favorite like emo and Natasha bangers? Okay, so Mariah never really stopped because she just kept coming out with music. That's so big facts. Mariah, I mean Whitney too, because I'm getting into like puppy love and little breakups and like heart wrenching situations, and now I'm turning to music to get me through it. So boys to men. Okay, huge. There were times when I knew how depressed I was based on the albums I would go back to. So, and I would always like rotate between certain albums. So I had Brandy, Never Say Never. Um, that one was big too. And like a lot of us girls were just like, we're, I swear we were all listening to the same thing. Like, you know, just we're 15, 14, 16 and Brandy is speaking to us. So, you know, there's a few of those albums um backstreet boys kept going man i was listening to backstreet boys heavy because their stuff was emo it is what it is like you know that's why we were falling in love with them because we were all like all of our broken hearts bring us together you know now let me show you the shape of my heart yeah yeah was it that oh my god that one was big for me i mean there was a lot of them though i was more on the emo like like the my chemical romance shit like I wanted my yeah. I needed that shit in my life because it yeah. was really what hit me more so than let's say the the more female oriented diva power stuff that was not as much my For jam. Sure. But I know exactly what you mean because that shit was all around me stills. Yeah, it was quit playing games with my heart. That's the wine. That's with a the fucking rain and good wine. Oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I feel it. Yeah. It just brought me back. There was another one, like right after that, where they, they were like, in, it was what winter, like they were in the house or something. I don't know about that one. I'm just thinking about the one with the like cell phone call that came a little bit later when they Oh, that was later. Engineer. I was in dance class. I did a choreography to that. Yeah. The hello, hello, I can't hear you. It's breaking like, up. Going to a place nearby. Yeah, Gotta go. <laughs> exactly. Gotta go. Dun, 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 dun. Dude, yeah. I don't think I, like, bragged about loving that shit for a while, but I loved that shit. I don't think you were allowed (laughs) at the time. Um, I figured out right quick in dating that it got you laid, so, like, I've been bragging about it for well over 10 years now, for real, real. You and your girl singing it at the same time? That's, like, put it right on my finger. It does, like, have to work for you. (laughs) Pretty much. Pretty much. Usher, you know, let it burn, you know. There's a whole bunch of them, man. I don't know that I can sell Usher that well, so I would never venture in that direction personally, but I would I would stay in comfort zones. I can tell you Avril Lavigne does real fucking well in my world. I forgot about that. I actually have one of her albums. Um, Loved her. My cousin told me that. My young cousin. Shout out to Michelle when she eventually sees this on YouTube or whatever. She's like, Natasha, you remind me of Avril Lavigne. And I was like, where? But then I kind of realized, like, in terms of attitude, I was like, yeah, I, I can see it. I can yeah, see I it. feel that, too. At least the Avril Lavigne, I remember. Anyway. Yes. Uh, yes. So I guess then, uh, at, well, uh, are you doing, like, talent shows and shit? Are you doing a little bit of rightsy-poos? Are you getting the writing bug in high school? Okay, so the writing bug, the writing chapter actually started when I was about, and I actually remember when this started for me. It, it picked up and it grew and became something more serious in high school, but it actually started when I was about seven or eight, um, barely knowing how to spell, obviously, right? Um, but still writing anyways. And if you like, if we really go back, I remember being like five years old, like my son right now, who just scribbles letters on a piece of paper, one long row of letters, and then he brings it to you and he's like, mommy, can you read this? And I'm like, 
A-F-R-D. And he's like, no, read it. And I was like, oh, there was a boy. And, and he's like, no, mom, it's about a dinosaur. So like, I remember trying to write from a very young age. If you gave me pen and paper, I think this is most kids, but some of us will sit here for hours just writing and drawing. I actually remember writing and then going in my room and lining up all my stuffed animals and pretending that I was teaching a lesson. And then I was correcting their homework. I was correcting, I was writing notes, I would get my red pen. So, and that all started in grade one. So by the time I'm in grade three, we're living in Cote d'Ange, I'm going to Coronation School. Mm. Um, and it's the summer and a lot of the kids outside are playing, but a lot of the kids are French. And I, to this day, am not bilingual. I have a pretty good, you know, I can speak it kind of well with my accent in terms of accent. I've had a lot of French people tell me like, but when you speak French, you don't have an accent, like an English accent. I was like, thank you. But I don't, you know, so I was shy, really shy. And all the kids were like trying to play and they'd huddle up and like make the rules of the game. And I wouldn't be able to understand them. And I was too shy to ask. And they were too arrogant to tell me or translate, right? So from a young age, I was already kind of like going this way and all the other kids were going that way. There was a difference between us and we just couldn't make it work. So I was like, this is the part where I go home. So I'd go upstairs and I'd just start writing. And I wrote like a short story. I know now that there's a name for it and it was a short story. And um, I was in grade four, I was nine years old. We had our first project to make up a story. And I wrote this really cool short story called uh, Sloppy Joe. And it was about a boy named Joe who was very sloppy. So I'm already doing like the play on words and the puns and the metaphors. And basically by the end of the story, uh, he finally cleans his room and his mom makes his favorite dinner, Sloppy Joe's. Get it? So, I, and yeah, I was super proud of this dope. story. Like sure, okay, fine, if you're an adult, it's one thing, but you just dropped some fuego as a kid. Yeah, I actually won a contest that year that took me to a uh, Reading Rainbow. Not the actual on-air show, but there was like, they were working with the Gazette so they had this, the Gazette did a contest in our class and every kid had to submit a story. So I submitted, uh, actually it was a book report and I submitted a book report based off my favorite book. And then they, I got the call back in the summer and I did this like shooting in this location downtown and then they it aired somewhere. They sent me like a beach ball. I don't know, but anyway, <laughs> that was big for me back then. That was like the first thing no, I want and a hat from the Gazette. Just to know how big it is. My girlfriend got to be on knockoff reading rainbow whatever the shit was that pbs had she was on it like book briefs she was on it two or three book times briefs. that was it bro oh that's that it. Was it yo i yes. hear about book briefs every three months at least yo i hear about book briefs so fucking much that i've gone and tried to find the book briefs to find out they don't they're not anywhere nobody has the book briefs but bonnie was on the book briefs so trust i know how big of a deal it is for somebody to be on the book briefs <clears throat> hell yeah Hell yeah. I actually still have that VHS tape. Oh shit, so, Bonnie. She she can show me what a book briefs looks like. Oh my god. Talk about like my name is Natasha and my favorite book is it was like super awkward, but I have it. It's there. <laughs> I wanna see the Bonnie one. That was my first time on camera, so yeah. Nine I love years it, old. Though. That's so fucking cool. Like that's incredible. First of all, it's incredible because it promotes books. So big ups yes. to you to taking a good chance here. Everybody should be reading. That's all I'm trying to say. I, yo, book yeah. briefs is cool because it gave kids an opportunity yeah. to taste that. So shout out PBS. Yes. yes. And I, I grew up watching the Reading Rainbow. So somehow it was connected to them, though. I'm not sure how. But, you know, I, don't know. I was really like that was everything to me back then. That's so cool, though. That's where 
that's where the writing came in. That's when I was like, my imagination to paper sauce. I was like, ooh, ooh. So I would like just start thinking about what I want to write next, what I want to put on paper next. I also loved writing. Like, you know, we would draw. My dad was an artist and had like beautiful penmanship for a man. So it mattered to me what my writing looked like. It mattered to me what pen I used. It mattered to me how many papers I wrote. I was like, ooh, I did all these papers. Like I was, it mattered to me. Are you okay with, with answering a question from the, from the comments? That's, are you okay yeah, with that? Yeah, hell yeah. Mr. Willie Scandals would like to know what your favorite book was back then. Um, well, the book report I wrote on was my favorite book back then, and it was called Be My Valentine, and I still have it. It's in my bedroom right now, and I read it to my kids. That is So Be My Valentine. That's so cool. I keep a lot of books from back then. Like We got all the Dr. Seuss's. And my mom kept them. And so I told her, fuck that shit. Adam, my brother, does not get that. That's my shit. I don't give a fuck. Yeah, fight for that. And The uh, originals? Yo, like 40 or 50 of them. Like, it's like a... Oh, my God. It's not all of them, but it's most of them. And so, yo, like, I can't even wait. Like, well, I mean, she has to, like, you know, know, kids and stuff. It's a whole different... Ours are new. I don't have any. I didn't grow up with Dr. Seuss books in my collection. What Mm -hmm. I did have was um, they were handed down to me, actually. Uh, the Cabbage Patch Kids. I okay. had one or two books of that. You had the, and I also had... Um, did you ever have the Burstein Bears or whatever? Bernstein, Burstein Bears? I uh, may have had a couple, but I remember those more from the school library. Mm. I didn't own any of those. But those were heavy. Like, I would always rent them. What did we do? Take them home? Yeah, I, we would I, definitely... I don't know what the right term is either, but we libraried that shit. <laughs> borrowed. We borrowed books. Oh, it is. It's borrowed. That's, That's amazing. It. I used We're to like, way. fuck, yo, I hit that. Yo, I was in the, when Harry Potter dropped, I remember our like elementary school library had that shit and we all lined up and over the course mm-hmm. of the year, it took fucking forever before anybody actually got to read the book. There was of like course. two copies for the whole school. <laughs> you were on the list, bro. They were like, maybe next month when, if they bring it back on time, we're like, oh my God. If. Um, and I had, uh, what's that other one? If. Oh my God. Strawberry shortcake. That's mm. actually the one set of books I have where I have like five of them from my childhood still have them. Amazing. And books that my dad read to me when I was five. I still have those. I read those to my kids too. So big on books. Definitely. Not cool. Thank you for answering. So, that. okay. Of course. And I just want to like add to it a little bit here for a sec. Cause the Do writing it. is a huge part of who I am. And I'm telling you right now, guys, when I quit music, okay, I'm going to be a full-time author. I'm just putting it out there. Like I will dedicate my life to songwriting, ghostwriting, and writing books and shit. Okay. I feel um, that's a dope goal. So um, I picked writing back up, but this time a little differently. In high school, it was 1998, and it was during the ice storm of 1998. Um, my cousin, right? Okay, my cousin, about three years older than me. She used to write poems heavy and she had a notebook. And you know, back then it was it was like swag. It's like, who are you? How do you identify yourself? What kind of high school student are you? I'm a, oh I write poems, gosh. I have books. Yeah, so she, my cousin was one of those. And she listened to like Nine Inch Nails and shit. Like she was, she was different. She was into like the rock and roll and stuff. Um, but she had this notebook. She had like three of them. What she used to do, okay, so you know like electrical tape, they come in different colors. So she would actually, I thought it was, she's artistic as fuck too. My whole family. And this is where I say, 
it don't just come from me. It comes from both sides of my family. So my older cousin had this notebook with electrical tape on it. And she had like purple, the whole front cover would be purple. And you just see rows and rows and it would be inside the flap and outside the flap. Then she'd turn it over and do like black. And then inside she'd like write poems um, in different ink. And back then we had the sparkle ink. Do you remember that? Oh my gosh, yo, gel pens and the whole fucking gel pens. Yo, this shit yes. was actually like social paper. currency shit, yo. Like you had to yeah. have like like if sometimes we couldn't afford the nice ones, is all I'm trying to say. At like right. the, the fucking pen level. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. No, it was yo, they were like maybe not maybe back then they were like a dollar twenty five each. Now they're like two forty nine, you know. But, but, but back yeah, then it, it was cheap. like a dollar forty nine each versus but that one has twenty for ninety nine cents. Fuck your gel pen. <laughs> Exactly. And then exactly. that would be like a dedicated. stocking present in Christmas when the parents were like, "Yeah, we'll give him a gel pen at Christmas." You get the color; it's red and green. Um, but yeah, so my cousin, right? She had the whole thing: purple gel, sparkly gel. Then when we had black paper, that was a thing too. You had black, yes. black paper with the milk pens. So now you're using like pastel colored gel pens, right? That show up on the black paper. So my poetry was art. And I borrowed the idea from my cousin to really dedicate myself to making it appear in a way that makes you want to read it. So now it looks intriguing. So when I would, you know, same thing I felt when I saw her writing, I was like, I want people to feel this when they see my writing. And so, you know, I was doing that in my school agendas and I'd have friends like, Tash, can I borrow your agenda for my next period? Cause like Mr. So-and-so is so boring. I was like, okay. And so I'd fill my agenda up with all these poems and like my friends were like, yo, it was like a big deal to them. Like really They're like, Tash, I didn't know you felt that way. Or like that second one, I really felt it. So that's when I started realizing that writing has an effect on people yeah. and it has the ability to heal and people resonate with that shit. So yeah, that's where that came in high school. That's really cool. I, I understand that Graham. Um, I started writing poems in high school. They were less cool than yours, I'm sure, but like this totally. Mine. I mean, they're pretty you, depressing. Do you yeah. remember any? Do you, do you have like a high school poem you could bust a little one two on? Oh my god, are you kidding me? I'm 35, bro. Like I don't remember anything. I do still have my agendas, and if I was more prepared, and if I really thought that, you know that? would have mattered, I would have had them nearby. Maybe we'll do like an intermission, and I'll grab what I can. Nah, that's cool. We'll save it for part two. I just I ask it because yeah. you know what one in like yeah. five people can do it and i'm like you know what that's yeah. a good enough statistic to see if people can do it <laughs> yeah well if you asked me 10 years ago maybe because you know but no but that's cool um there is one there's two that really stood out to me <laughs> one's really crazy anyway one was called the jewel and i don't remember it front to back there's like four stanzas don't remember them but one thing i do remember and i used to have I like I, it mattered to me bro like this was my first life purpose as far as i was concerned was to be a writer and it was hella therapeutic for me so i was dropping gems and i remember because i'd read them back years later and be like what the hell did you know when you were 14 but yo that line right there is crazy so i was like put that in a song later like or let people know, like put this on display, let people know that you were like 13 when you wrote this. Uh, and I used to date my stuff too. Very important to date your poetry. Ooh, so, or your writing facts. in general. So, um, uh, I remember writing in that, the jewel, it was like, um, oh yeah, there was a couple things I remember. It was like, instead of crying in a tissue, cry on paper. 
And I'm using the metaphor, right? But I was like, if you cry in tissue, you throw it away and you forget the reason why you're crying. If you cry on paper, you can reread it. You can learn from it. There was, and it, it rhymed, it was really cool. And there was something else in there that was like, um, people admire those who have sinned and changed rather than those who have stayed the same. Yo. And that was basically saying like, People, people like to hear that you went through some stuff, that you weren't perfect, that you weren't even a nice person. They love to see the transition because it gives them hope that Holy there's- Holy shit, that's You can big. make a change. You, can, you don't have to be the way you are and stay stuck the way you are. Yeah, and also it was kind of like my resentment towards those who didn't really have a rough childhood. You know, it's like, what do you have to say? Nothing. Let me hear the person who went through some stuff. I want to hear what they have to say. So that was already like me kind of, placing myself and finding my identity as a writer like what kind of writer are you i'm the one i'm like a shakespeare i talk about the tragedy and then i make that shit sound poetic yo, and you might learn from it so unreal i love if what it you heals you there. Great. yo your like bars from your youth resonated so heavy with me because i like i came to like <laughs> so i came to a similar epiphany through these christian books that my dad gave me to try to make me less of a sinner or some shit uh, like the cross and the switchblade <laughs> and these books like that and they would basically tell these stories of martyr like the, so there would always be these troubled kids involved yeah. in like gang life and all this wild shit that sounds real fun yeah. i'm sorry but wild shit sounds real fun when you're 14. yeah and then sure. the story always just kind of migrated into um and then he met jesus and his life got redeemed yeah. and all good in the hood baby but it also made me realize hold the fuck up I'm really attracted to these stories where there's a huge fuck up and then there's a redemption arc. And it's been like a consistent theme of my life is a, is a redemption arc. Yeah. And I love yeah, that yes. shit. I was like yes, trash and I'm not trash now. And, you and know? the triumph. Right. Tragedy what, and the triumph. Yeah, right. Big facts. Yo, if y'all are really not paying attention to this, this is like we're talking star level how to like create some shit in your life. That's all I'm trying to say. <laughs> so thanks for the knowledge nuggets. Of course, man. Of course. Yeah. Everyone's going through something, but you shouldn't, you shouldn't stay there. Like you need to see that this is just where you are right now. Take what you need to take from it. Move the fuck one. Like we're all creators and co-manifestors create your next move, write your own story. And that's a lot of two where I keep coming back to this. Like I'm a writer. This is my story. What chapter are we in? How do I want to spin this? Not to tell a fib, but how do I want to spin this in a way where I keep the poetry, where it, it remains art that people can actually see that like, some of the stuff that you experience might seem really now because you're going through it. But when you look back and you've learned what you've learned from it, you now have something solid to hand to somebody else who's going through something similar to what you just came out of. And that was my way of self, like it was self therapy. You know, I didn't go to therapy therapy and maybe I should have, maybe if, you know, my family had understood exactly what was going on, they would have said, Hey, let's put her in therapy. But I actually spoke really briefly to a therapist who said, do you have any hobbies? And I said, well, I like writing poetry. Okay, next time we, we meet up, bring some of your poetry. Cool. So I show up with my fancy book and the drawings and the sketches and the purple link and stuff. And she's like reading it going, my God. Like, so that's something that, you know, I remember people reading it and getting the feedback and thinking, huh, people really go Google for this stuff. Like if my therapist, she looked at me and said, you know what? I honestly don't think you need therapy for much longer. Like this, I think I did three sessions with that lady where she picked my brain and realized she'll be fine. I was like, really? She's like, you have poetry and you just don't stop writing. Same thing, my English teacher, Natasha never stopped writing. And I was like, okay, I can't. I'd write like 
five poems a day. I'd be writing in class, sidetracked, pouring out my emotions on paper, you know? And it's like, that was, that was my life for a long time. It was my life. So that's fresh. Yeah. This is cool. I'm enjoying this. I enjoy going back to memory lane. It's dope. Cause you get to like, <laughs> I mean, selfishly, I get to like reevaluate my life too through your lens and it's fucking cool. Um, so I guess, uh, I don't know if anything else like super significant happens in high school or when you like, I don't know what happens next. When is like the next big moment in your world we're talking about happen? Um, yeah, it was more towards the end of high school, actually. So in high school, you know, like a lot of us, you find puppy love, you know, your heart's breaking over and over. You fall in love, your heart breaks. You fall in love, your heart breaks. You're still learning your self-worth. You're still finding your identity, still writing poems, still singing songs. Um, I got to about grade nine or 10 when I did my first talent show, uh, aside from high school, uh, elementary school. Like if we even count that, yeah, we should count that. That was a big deal. But this one was like in the auditorium in my high school. And it was a big, a big deal. So where you do the public speeches, it's where when, you know, when people would come like professionals, like, you know, Yo, the public speaking was a big deal. I got to the finals and shit. Okay. In grade 11. Hey man. Yo, my name got Same. put in the motherfucking newspaper for the EMSB. That's dope. I didn't win, That's dope. but I fuck it. Okay. I know it's about you, but yo, I, I just, I just remember <laughs> this. So I was mad, right? I was that kid in class who like fucking would, um, would be disruptive we'll say very disruptive but because of that i was also unfairly accused of shit a lot because sometimes when i wasn't disruptive i would get called on even though the good kids in the front were always talking like non-stop yeah. like but i talk at like this volume because i'm dense as fuck and don't get subtlety and they're like Shippy, 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 shippy. And you're like okay that's why you never get caught so i wrote a whole fucking thing on it and, Whoa. And then I crush it in my local school. And then my teacher helps me rewrite it with words like dichotomy and shit because I wasn't really there. Which I mean, you use to this day. It. So big up to that teacher. I use dichotomy to this fucking day. It's the first word That's I use whenever right. somebody goes, throw a word in for a freestyle. I'm like, dichotomy. Um, yo, thank you, Maria <laughs> Alexandra1990. Shout outs to you That's for my being girl. here. Yeah. Shout outs to her for being here. Um, for sure. Anyway, so I go and I crush this shit. I drop this eloquent speech basically saying teachers are unfair and biased in their discipline and used my anecdotal life and how teachers are unfair and comedic value to effectively put unfair practices on blast. This is at Westmount High mm -hmm. School. No, They don't do shit. Like, these are kids who only cheer for their own peoples. Okay? Pretty much, yeah. They, they turned the fuck up for me. Because I dropped that shit. So it turns out my boy is in the class where they're doing the grading. And they gave me like a th fucking three on five for crowd reaction. And they buried me on some fucking politics shit. And so I didn't win. God. You know that what? was sabotage. They Absolutely. didn't want to see you be great. They weren't ready for that. They weren't ready for that. They exercised their power. Anyway, so you just brought me back with that public <laughs> speaking. Because that was the first time I think I ever challenged authority in public. And yeah. lost for it. Because, yeah, I basically said teachers are uncool. Like, they're behaving unfairly in front of a yeah. room full of fucking teachers that were not people who... But hold on. To get, to get to the auditorium, right? Didn't your class have to vote for you yeah. out of all the other public speeches? Of course. Uh, they voted for the okay. guy who said teachers are unfair right. and don't pay. I right. turned that shit up in high... And, you know, my local school was easy. 
and then I got the yeah. fucking next level. I just rode that speech all the way. I, I hit every level. So I hit the class. They fucking turned up because I'm saying teachers yeah. are unfair. And people know it's true about yeah. me too. They've all seen it. So I'm spitting yeah. reality, but I'm being comedic and self-deprecating because it's like, come on, it's me doing this. Everybody knows I'm the disruptive asshole. Simultaneously, right. move on to the whole school. Again, they turn the fuck up. Like, like I've never seen that right. before, right? I forgot about all of this. This is like, I haven't thought about this in like 10 years. Um, and then like, doing this. and then like we go to the Westmount high school cause I win at the school level. So the, the class votes me yeah. in the class level, fucking whoever it is, picks me at the next level. But people can clearly see like, it's not just the content. It's the delivery. You are memorized every fucking right. word of it. Um, I would right. practice that shit to death. Like it's a track. Like if I think about it, mm -hmm. I got my performing on through public speaking long before I ever fucking touched a mic or anything. Um, and yep. then I got to that school and there was a room full of motherfuckers. Like there's like, oh, the whole like fucking schools there. Right. It was for them. It was like auditorium day. Yay. And they yeah. fucking got lit. And, ah, what the fuck did he just say? Banging on like, the chairs and shit. Yeah, it's yeah. like that shit, like when people drop hard facts and motherfuckers turn up, like, did he just have the balls to say that? Because basically exactly. I'm saying to a room full of yeah. fucking teachers I don't know, y'all are unfair in how you discipline you people and you need narrative. to be better. And of then course. I didn't win. That was cool. I felt so proud, though. It was one of... I yeah, but you made a ripple effect. You I know I have that newspaper clipping in my room somewhere. Dope. But you created change with that. Just know that. They just couldn't... They couldn't award you for it because it would have set a bad example, right? Yeah, it was complete but disruption. I was completely a rebel. Everyone, but everyone resonated, so like you were the hero for that moment, for sure. Yeah, that's because so, of you I remember um, this. So thank you. You're the fucking hero at this moment. But we're there. We're there. So let's just go there for a second. So yeah, I'm talking about my first talent show. But before we get to the talent show... This actually was in this order with the public speeches. I remember, um, <laughs> Mr. Strauss, I turned in my speech a little bit late, maybe like two days late. Um, and it's only because I couldn't figure out what I was passionate enough about to write something really good about and memorize it. Like you have to be passionate, right? So then I heard that you could do your public speech pretty much on anything. You could do it on a person. So as soon as they said on a person, I was like, oh, so now I'm 13 years old and I had gotten into Maya Angelou, Dr. Maya Angelou. So again, thanks to my grandmother because she was big on books, right? So um, she had, I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings. She had um, Still I Rise. She had Phenomenal Woman. In fact, she had a book with all three of them in there. There was only like three or four poems in there. And um, she had a big bookshelf in the living room and like a lot of Daniel Steele. But anyway, so I got into no, Maya Angelou and the thing, a bang, yeah. back then every mother had Daniel Steele. Come <clears> on. <throat> so I was into her, like her love poems and stuff. That's when I was really like, that yeah, helped me with my poems. up in here, eh? Yeah. I can't sit here and say that's all from me. Like that was between my cousin and, and whatever was on my mom, my grandmother's bookshelf hundred percent like how to how to verse yourself how to talk about your emotions in a way where it hits you know like that i learned that from daniel Steele, and then maya angelou got into some like real stuff like daniel Steele would talk about love and maya angelou would talk about self-love and that was that was big for me because remember i'm still kind of like mourning and finding my identity and like quiet keep to myself very very self-conscious very like 
just like self-esteem was on the ground, you know, single child, I'm already quiet. I don't really like socializing for that reason, you know? And you can see in school, the difference between kids who grew up with a big family, you know, or like siblings, they're just like, they're used to competing to speak, you know, like I have something to say and I'm just used to being in my head. So I didn't really feel a need to speak, right? But when I read Maya Angelou stuff, what hit me from the jump was a bit of her life story where she spent, I forget what age she was, but she spent a good year, I think it was a year or two, not speaking at all. And it's because she felt guilty of a man who had died. So this man had touched her inappropriately. She told someone in her family, he went to jail. Uh, and when he came out of jail, shortly after she heard that he was killed and she felt responsible for his death. And so she didn't speak for like a year. She was like, apparently when I speak, people die. When you Holy tell the shit. truth, when you tell the truth, it can kill it could kill a person. So she didn't speak. And when I read that, I was like, holy cow, like I really resonate with that, like telling the truth and, and just like knowing a lot of stuff as a kid and, and like, you know, just knowing a little bit about loyalty. Like, you know, when you have a single parent, it's like what happens here stays here. What we talk about stays between us. So I already had this like loyalty to my dad. And then my grandmother was raising me like, I don't know what your dad taught you, but around here, this is how we're going to do things. And what stays here, what goes on here stays here. Don't be going out and telling this. So I was learning about like loyalty and like, what should I speak on this? Or should I just shut up? And like, what would happen if I said something? So that was kind of already starting to happen to me with like, you know, as a quiet kid who observes a lot, um, it's with great power comes great responsibility. You might see some shit. Don't mean you have to talk about it. If you say something, it can cause a ripple effect. People can get in trouble. So I already had that understanding. So I resonated with my Angela in a big way where it was already like, if I'm going to speak, it has to count for something. It can't just be, you know, you know, it's a power. How are you going to use it? So I did my speech on my Angela and I, I, I learned her poem, Phenomenal Woman by heart. And I recited it in my poem and I kind of cheated because, you know, your speech is supposed to be at least three minutes minimum or whatever. And I was like, well, this yeah, takes up like a good like three and a half minutes maximum. Like you had it like you had to be yeah. like to a T. Exactly. Exactly. So I it was all about flow. It was all about don't go too fast when you're doing this part. Don't go too slow. If you're going to speed up, do it here. If you're going to slow down, do it there. So I recited her poem and I that was like butter for me because I loved it already. I kind of already knew it. So I just made sure I really, really knew it. And then the rest was just like two minutes of me talking about her, where she was born and blah, blah, blah. So and then, of course, I tied in a little bit of myself into it. I might still have that laying around here somewhere. Actually, I might still have that. And so I went to the uh, auditorium. So I, I had this thing in late. I perform it and everyone's like, Tasha needs to go to the auditorium. Okay. So I go to the auditorium and big lesson I learned in uh, <laughs> being cocky and uh, a little too presumptuous was I knew it so well that I purposely left my cue cards on the chair so I'm sitting on the stage, me and the other contestants, and I'm like, man, I know this. So I get up, and I put it on the chair, and I go to the podium, and I kill it for like a good solid two minutes. And as I'm getting to my conclusion, don't I stumble? And I, I was water, and then I just stopped, and I had nothing, no point of reference to bring me back. 
So then I had to like go back in my memory and like recite the line that came before and I still got stuck and I was like, oh my God, I can't, I can't find it. I can't, I can't get to it. And then finally I kind of like wrapped it up or something. And, and like, I actually remember hearing like a few people in the auditorium being like, oh, like it, it, it was good, man. And then they were like, no, Tasha, no. So I actually came in second place. I came in honorable mention. And the year after that, I did another. Sorry. Uh. It cut. It said a year after that you did a something, and then it cut. I did an, another. I went to the auditorium again, uh, and I came in honorable mention again. Fair this enough. time they were giving awards away for that. I was like, "Can I get one for last year?" They're like, "I'm sorry." I'm like, "Damn. All right, I'll take my one." But yeah, I have that plaque somewhere. That's fresh. I'm gonna see how many people fucking did this public speaking shit, yo. I forgot yeah. that that was a part of it, but yo, straight up, you were at EMSB also, so we were at the same school board, so it was the same shit. Yeah. Yeah. Getting familiar with the stage. And, and yeah, I realized that I, I really, it was like liberating Yo, to that... get up there and speak. Yeah. That's cool. I felt um, oddly comfortable. So what, um, so what comes after high school then? We'll say like after high school. Okay. Well, man, see, there's a lot I'm keeping for the book, right? <laughs> but I'll touch briefly toward the end of high school. Um, I was trying to find my mom. So this ties into like identity, right? Um, still, I, I felt like I was still on like hopping on one foot, like, okay, you like to sing and you like to dance and people think you're talented and creative and all that good stuff. You know what you get from your dad's side, but you still have no clue what you get from your mom's side. And, you know, I, I remember people used to ask me like, don't you miss your mom? And I'm not going to go too much into this. Um, cause my mom could be watching what up mom. But, um, I was like, you know, you can't really miss what you never had. And that was my way of rationalizing the reason why I shouldn't feel like all emo about it. You know, mm. it's like, if you were born with one leg, you know, you just kind of adapt real quickly and you know, you just, it's normal for you. And people with two legs are like, Oh my God, how do you do it? And you're like, I don't know. I just do. So, um, it didn't, it wasn't really a burden so much. It, it just lacked in that area of like identity, self-identity. Who am I? You know, where am I going? So, um, yeah, that happened towards the end of high school. Now, a lot of my story touches on spirituality too. And that's why I say I have to involve my family because none of these things came out of nowhere. This was all like, you know, this kid is plucked from this reality, put into this reality and is becoming a product of her environment. So my grandmother was like, she played a key role in, um, in just like, you know, being spiritual and talking about God and stuff. And she really believed in what she was talking about. And I didn't, I think a lot of, you know, when you're young, you're like, I don't get it. You know, like, why do you pray so much? I don't get it. Like, how do you know it's working? I don't Very different background with that one. I had it more like shoved down my throat and I was like confessing Jesus was my savior at seven years old out of a fear of going to hell. I had read the Bible cover to cover by the time I was 12. Cause I, okay. So I got arrested for shoplifting porn when I was 12, like porno magazines. Um, and I wasn't allowed to do anything, but sit in my room for two weeks because my dad was punishing me. And all I could do is read the, the, the Bible. Read the Bible. And I literally um, read that motherfucker cover to cover. I'm saying I have it. I'm going to do it this year. I'm going to do a Bible run this year. I want. I, that's why I like put it off because I never would have hit my reading quest. But like, it's the size of four fat books. It's four forty-eight laws of powers. That's fucking fat. So I'm going to read that shit because I don't remember last time I ever read it. But like, it was definitely something yeah. I did then. 
I, I would read. I would watch that. I would definitely get into that. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, totally. I do not relate to the confusion. It was more like a different kind of life for me with religion. Hmm. So for me, I'm grateful that it wasn't shoved down my throat at all. But there were definitely times without, you know, again, I'm going to save a lot for the book and stuff. I respect my family and their business. I don't want to paint anybody in a way where, you know, but I'm really proud to say that my grandmother is very um, spiritual. And I think she's a lot more spiritual than she understands she is. Like, you know, some people talk in tongues and stuff. So imagine me not knowing anything about this. Like my dad didn't really get into any of this with me. Like we were like nomads, you know, and my grandmother was grounded as hell and traditional and had what she believed in. And she didn't shove it down my throat, but she definitely didn't hide it either. So she piqued my interest. There came a point where I went through like that rebellious, like, how do you even know if this stuff is like, you know? And then all of a sudden one day I was like, well, let me just see like what this thing is all about. And, you know, I was having all these like crazy dreams. And then, you know, I'd sit down with my cousins a lot and they'd be like, Nat, tell us about that dream you had that actually happened after. Or like, you know, and I would tell them certain things and it's by having these conversations and these sit downs with my cousins where they would drill me with questions and, you know, what was that like? And tell us and this, that. And I'd be like, whoa, you guys are actually interested in like my inner workings and like how my brain thinks. That's pretty cool. So um, I started, I started getting into a little bit of spirituality and realizing that maybe there's a bigger picture at play here. You know, maybe everything kind of does happen for a reason. Um and so just to kind of like speed up a little bit without getting too deep into it oh, towards the end of high school. Though. Just so you know, I'm really Beautiful. engrossed. Beautiful. So by the end of high school, I'm trying to find my mom on the internet and I don't have a computer. So I'm like the last few weeks of school, I'm like in the computer lab trying to like 411 her, you know, Canada 411, trying to whatever, whatever website that was at the time, yellowpages.com or something, CPA. So I'm like trying to figure out like, you know, going off her last name, going off of like the the area she might live in. I couldn't find anything. And I had a lot of my friends who, you know, would read my poems. And I guess I would talk about these types of things in my poetry because again, it was therapy. I never really intended to have people read it at first, but people started taking an odd interest in reading them because it's stuff that I wasn't comfortable talking about, but I put it in my writing. And it's like they got to see a side of me and then they'd start asking me about that like so tash like don't you ever feel like don't you ever so then i was like you know kind of like yeah maybe i should find her you know so a little bit after high school um i actually was 16 when i got the first letter from my mom in the mail because we and with, i'm not going to get too deep into this but we did have a way of reaching her through a third party so this she started to be uh introduced into my life around 16. Uh, I saw her picture for the first time when she sent me a letter and I was 16 and I was like, wow, this is what my mom looks like. Blonde hair, blue eyes, Irish, Scottish. You know, I, it was trippy to me that this is my other side. This is okay. So now I'm starting to really like blossom a little bit more. And then basically fast forward a little bit later, I actually meet her. So what does this have to do with spirituality? I started off, it was a tragedy. It was a tragic story with sad poems and sad love songs and all this stuff. And then it eventually became like uh, the silver lining and how, and I need to write a book about this. And there's a huge lesson in here. There's several, you know, you're not your situation. You're not what has happened to you in the past. You do have control. Perspective is everything. Have faith. There is a larger picture here. Have patience, be patient with yourself, forgive yourself and others. A whole lot of that started coming in. And as my perspective started to change, 
change and I became less depressed, beautiful things started happening. And the year I graduated high school is when I met my brother from Smoking Ink. Oh shit, you shut up, Sean. That's right. That's just the that's the smoking ink one, right, Sean? Yes, I know. I, what up, bro? I don't what know up? if he's actually watching this. Uh, he might be. He'll probably watch it in the future, though. But that guy, I just have to give him his flowers. Um, first of all, Roswell Beats, absolutely yeah. one of the most beautiful producers in Montreal. Yes, I like all yeah. producers in Montreal with a lot of different reasons. So don't expect my praise to count for much. I love them all equally, but he's one of the best because they're all the best. And yeah. uh. But as a person, he's fucking dope. His right. energy is next level. Like you, he loves voice messages in Facebook Messenger, and it is what it is. I'm learning to adapt to the real <laughs> world of voice message. But it's like, like you, it's like it, boom, it saves boom, time, boom, bro. Boom, boom, boom. It saves you time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, and then I'm like, that's like, yeah, saves me time. I can literally look at the literal amount of time. I'm like, there's no like one and a half or anything. It's just like, play it. It's fine. You guys are boring. There yeah. are some boring ass people who hit me up into Facebook Messenger of voice chats, and I'm like, oh. And then I gotta be polite. Look, ten clips, ten clips at a minute each is only ten minutes of your time. But in those, in that ten minutes, we get to like. Okay, I get cool. It. You guys are. Boring, it's like roll so up. When you see my messages come in, know that make know. your coffee, roll I, up. I, I literally. And I, they play I automatically. No, nah, no, nah, I don't do it on my phone. I go to my computer. So what happens on my phone uh, no, no, is no, it no, fucking no. lock screens in at like 40 seconds of the 60 seconds. And that's what drove me nuts yes. is I probably, yes, so now all of a sudden it's 10 minutes is now like 16 minutes, but like six of those yeah. minutes is double the, uh, anyway, that's not here nor yeah. there. Y'all are interesting. I thought, right. That, and, uh, sh yeah, well, we have, I think we have ADD. It's all right. Shout out to my brother. We have ADD, you know, we're multitasking. And, um, we're doing several things, and we're like, brr, 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 brr. all right, peace. And uh, yeah, he just has a contest going on. I just want to shut that out real quick. It's the Clash contest, uh, and y'all can like yeah, participate definitely. and look that up if right. you're interested. Hit me up after I can link it or whatever. Anyhow, that's cool that you met him though, because that's a blessed thing. I was curious about that. Yeah. I'm not gonna lie, I kept it quiet. I was like, yeah. she'll, she'll get there. Yeah. Uh, so how's that? What was yeah. That like? Um, so that was crazy. And I know you're going to sit down with him at some point soon. So I'll let him tell his version of the story. But, um, it was, it was, again, I'm leaving a lot of details for the book and don't think just cause you watch this, that you don't have to buy the book y'all. There's going to be meat in the book, whenever that comes out, it could be 10 years from now. Just remember this, come back to this and be like, yo, that book's going to be crazy. So, um, again, it's a lot, it's very, it's a spiritual path, bro. It's a spiritual path. Um, so basically, you know, I believe that nothing happens before it's time, right? So it's like I was primed. I became ready. When I met my mom, it's because I had made peace with myself and I had made peace with her. You know, forgiveness had a lot to do with it. And, and I'm going to sidebar this for a second for those who are watching because I know people can resonate with this. You know, you might have situations in your life where situations that happen with certain people in your life and you choose to you know, not talk to them or not forgive them. And you're just like, I don't need you in my life. And you cut them out. But I'm telling you, that's the easy way. But it's not rewarding at all. Mm. You feel the loss and it affects you as you move forward in life. You carry those burdens. When you choose to forgive for yourself, most important, but when you choose to forgive them, you allow time and space to create something beautiful where before you just decide to burn the bridge. 
So people who choose to forgive themselves and others, they learn a whole lot more out of life. They get a whole lot more out of life and they don't have as much heavy burdens. Like I am so at peace in my life. And it's because I've chosen to forgive. I've chosen to put myself in other people's shoes and think like, you know, if I were them right now, would I have done it the same? Would I have done it differently? And you really can't judge people. You're saying such fire that we got bits donated. That's that's like when they throw pennies at Woo! the strip club, and and that's a whole, ah! that's like a whole dollar we got. We got we got a whole second round of it. Shut up, Maria hey! Alexandra, nineteen ninety hey! with the fucking bitties. Wow! Beautiful. Oh my gosh! Another hundred just came in. Whew. Yo, you're that's dropping crazy. fires though. I mean, I. But pre- that's it, man. That's why. That's why there's gonna be a book because it's gonna no, be one of those like, books, man. That you're like, whoa. You're yeah, yeah. I would co-sign everything she said. I'm not gonna go down my version of it, but I would say in my own life, I would co-sign everything she just dropped as some of the biggest knowledge nuggets that have come up so far in this shit. So, yeah, thank you. Especially because you know what? Like, let me just say, having lost a parent at a young age too, that changes you. And I don't mean just like after a year or two or five years after it happens, you're still depressed, you're still whatever. But years down the line, like you don't realize how much you you really truly understand about, you know, um, getting your flowers while you're still here, giving mm. flowers while people are still here. Like having to to lose a parent, there I don't think there's anything more painful. Like you could lose a grandparent and that it hits. And I'm not trying to compare anything, but to lose a parent is crazy and it doesn't matter what age you're at it's you're you're not the same after that I... and then it's like you become like this kind of hero like what do you do with the pieces that you pick up now what do you do with them you know like this is the part where you start to write either a sad story or you start to really make it count don't let people in your life die in vain and so i think you know a lot of what i started to experience is just i was like there's there's a definitely a, a larger picture at play here and um and i'm grateful that i lost him at the age i did because i wouldn't be the person i am today if it wasn't for healing from that it's taught me a lot about relationships with people and forgiving like life is too short so please don't hold a grudge like please don't hold a grudge it's stupid anyway so now i appreciate all that for real um shout out beatbox jr for the follow shout out maria for the next level of bits rico black says facts to what you're saying and because she's the yeah. boss of my life, uh, your lady friend Bonnie wants to know: Do you have a title for your book ready? Um, I wrote it down. Give me a second. It's called The Promise. Ooh, that was some hot flames, and <laughs> I like that. That's a good title. Yo, this is great. I mean, this is exactly what I was hoping for when you came through. So you, uh, you are living up to everything I, I was hoping for in this conversation. I don't know how else to put it. Um. That's super cool. Which you said when you first met me. You said that when you first met me. What did I say? In the club. You were like, I have to say you're one of the few people. You said that you're one of the few people that I can say actually live up to their reputation in person. You were like, you know, like you kill your life. And then talking with me after, you're like, dude, you're you're, you're exactly what I thought you would be. And it's like, thank you for that. You got to (laughs) understand. Thank you for not being something else. Y'all might know the name Urban Logics, but this man's is up in here going on about natasha marie this natasha marie i think he gave like a 10 minute speech about you about how when you when you... in 2019 or something back in the days when people <laughs> could like venture out and visit yeah i'm telling you i talked to urban logics about you 
and I don't know if he's okay with me saying that. It is what it is. But uh, he was like, star, your body size. She was with fucking witness this shit. Star power, star quality. And it was like right before I saw you. I think that's why it was like relevant to the conversation. And so in the back of my mind, wow. you had just gotten the biggest hype up cosign from Logix. And so, and then you lived up to the reputation is all I'm trying to fucking say. You know what I'm saying? Go. And because I'm into signs and synchronicity, I have to say one of the first conversations we had. And what did I say? I said, bro, you remind me of Urban Logix. Oh, that's of, dope. I didn't even know if you knew who Logix was. I, I was do. like, I'm just going to put this out there. Like, you you sound like him a little bit. Your vibe is the same, you know? And you were like, that mm. means a lot to me because I've spoken with Urban Logix and, like, brother from another mother type vibes. And I was like, you see? There it is. Yo, I'm happy. Gotta... That, that makes me happy. We also got a comment from Fire, whatever, PHX92, The Promise. That's a Lee J. New York bestseller right there. Lee J. Yo, shout out, Lee J. Yeah. I appreciate it. one of my day ones. Yo, I like day that your one, day, day ones one. is coming through. Y'all are like, yes. your day ones came through so heavy that you've already tied the record for most max concurrent viewers. Okay, guys, I'm tearing up, just so you know. Like, that just made me happy. I'm happy. Thank nah, you. for real. Like, Maria just threw some dollars at this point. Dollars. <laughs> We've moved past pennies. Like, it might even hit a Damn. That's you. It's not me. Oh, my I'm just God. Facilitating it. <clears throat> nah, that's oh, yeah, it yeah. Is. You're segueing, too. You're segueing, too. I see you holding. I see you. I just, um, nah, I got to give love to the commenters as they come in sometimes. And I really, really appreciate everything you shared so far. But I'm absolutely wanting to go back to your story. Cause that's what happens. We go away, and then we got to deviate back to your story. Cause that's like what we're trying and to then, do. And then, and then soon we have to take a bathroom break. Cause I had like Yo, a whole coffee. Yo, basically we just got a fat ass comment from Beatbox Junior. If you want me to read it before we get back into it, cause that's a fat ass yeah. comment. And then we got a co-sign from Maria Alexandra, nineteen ninety. Shut up, but y'all. Uh, the thing is, those who know Natasha, I barely know her. Sorry, this is great. Like, we was like, like you know, we're, we're getting to know each other. Uh, she, no, yeah. she is a hustler. That's facts. I can I can appreciate that. She a lion. And unlike the Wizard of Oz, she has a massive heart. She gives, she gives, and always down to work and create with others with open minds and do what she has done and is going to do with the story she has lived. And you cannot raise your hat to one of these, or I think I fucked up the end. You're amazing. That's the end of it. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Big up to my girl, man. Dude. Yeah. Yeah. Knowing me personally and knowing my knowing my uh, my musical career is like two completely different things, to be honest. That's fresh. So that's why I love this. This is beautiful. That's cool. I like knowing people's and I like knowing musical careers, but I'm better with people than I am with musical careers and my shits because uh, the people's what really drives the career. So if we know the people, then yes. we understand the music. I can yes. feel, I'm not going to lie. I felt things in your song when I heard it the first time that I maybe would not have felt if I did not have the context of some of the conversations we had had prior to hearing yeah. the track. And that's just the truth of the situation. Mm -hmm. But let's go yeah. back to your story. So you've already uh, come up with uh, writing or something. I'm sorry, I'm just trying to reorient here for a second. You're post high school. Oh, good. I uh, hope you up. You, you came up with the spirituality thing. You connected with yeah. Sean. Uh, then, yeah. then we talked about forgiveness for a minute. And I don't yeah. think we ever talked about the Sean. I think we just moved on to forgiveness right quick. Yeah. Well, because you know what? In in hindsight, I realized, um, like, this was one of the chapters in the book. You know, it's like we talk mm. about meeting who we meet. And then we come back to the fact that spirituality was a part of this story right, from right. the Jiggity Jump. I just didn't know that at the time. 
Understood. So in hindsight, we look back and we connect the dots and we're like, I get it. And now we're like, okay, the bigger picture here is coming together. Um, no, that's cool. I didn't have to forgive. Yeah, I didn't have to forgive anything with my brother. I think it's just... Well, I didn't mean to imply it like you had to forgive stuff with him. I meant like sequentially yeah. what we were talking about. Yeah. It just happened to segue. And then I'm like, exactly. we didn't really talk about Sean. We just moved on to like forgiveness as a topic is more what yeah. I was saying. Yeah. yeah. But, but what they... <laughs> What they do have in common is, like I was saying before, is things only happen when they're meant to happen. So it's like, you know, you might question, well, how come it took so long for this to happen for me? It's like, well, life needed you to get to where you were when it was finally able to bring that in. And then, right. you know, we come down to energy and the secret and the law of attraction. And, you know, if you're in a low vibration, you are going to attract to you low vibrational experiences, period. Low mm -hmm. vibrational people, period. You might not realize that you're attracting this. And and that's what I liked about the secret is because they were like, I'm sorry to tell you, a lot of you don't want to hear it, but a lot, like a lot of the negative things that have happened to you, you've attracted it. Mind you, I don't think I attracted, you know, the death of my father. No, but that was like written to happen. But everything after that, when I was in that low vibration, I needed to learn. And I'm telling you, Holden, it took a very, very long time and a lot of personal work on myself to pull myself out of that but i didn't do it alone it's my faith that started coming in and making me shift my perspective and then i was like i have power here i don't have to stay in this energy like i can actually start to do something with this right turning to music doing things that make you happy that that raise your vibration so i feel like when i was where i was supposed to be that's when my brother came into my life and then shortly after that my mom came into my life and then i started to realize like I'm very lucky because there's a lot of people out here who don't have that story. They may have tried to find their parent or biological family and were shut out, rejected, or it didn't go so well. You know what I'm saying? So I realized like things started to become really beautiful. Mm -hmm. I was like, whoa, if I had known that it would have made such a turn, I wouldn't have been so down on myself, but I needed to go through that. Yeah. I needed to go through the dark night of the soul and then find the light. And that's why I say this whole thing is about spirituality. For Hi. me, absolutely. Um, I met my brother, yeah, I was 18. And we were wearing the same shoes. We both had white fat farm shoes with the army laces. I'll never forget that day. All right, before we, we go further, my, one of the patrons over there, Lindell, he wants to know, he has to dip, so he wants to know who your favorites are as a go-to to listen to musically. And he says you're super interesting. Thank you. Um, uh, Whitney Houston, Mariah Carey, um, dude, anyone with soul, Alicia Keys, Stevie Wonder, India Ari, oh my god, dude, Adele, mm. and I'm just like going through all of them from beginning to like today. Um, yeah, uh, Jasmine Sullivan, her, um, I don't know, man, there's so many. Tony Braxton, to TLC, Aaliyah. Yo. Oh my God! Like, yeah, so yeah. The Fire PHX, <laughs> who you know the name of, and I can't remember. Shout out Maria for the bits before she dips. Yeah. Oh yeah, Maria no, has to dip. Uh, she said, "Okay, let a me long know." Comment that was dope. But Fire goes, "Wait, I didn't know that." Tash and her bro didn't know of each other until 18. You dropping big time knowledge nuggets on the people. Now they're going to have to buy your book because we all know you're <laughs> giving away everything. Yeah, this is why do. it's dope. This is teaser shit. Yeah. Yo. 
you can't put this on Facebook. Mind you, when I met my mom, I filmed it and I did put it on Facebook. I deleted it a few years ago, but I left it up there for a few years. And I had strangers commenting, saying, this made me cry. I'm so happy you met my mom, your mom. Oh my God. You know, or like, I just met my mom too. And this just reminded me of that day where like, I was like, bro. And that's why, again, I was like, this book's just getting meatier and meatier and meatier. And it's nice to have that gem there, but it's not there anymore. And so just know that it was a really moving video. It was pretty awesome. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, I, as we're talking about my brother, I do want to say that I think it's also equally as beautiful that we're both passionate about music. And that was written to happen that way. Absolutely. He could have been into anything else, but he was into music. So I'm like beyond proud of him. And we do have music coming out and it's already recorded and we are shooting a video for it. We have performed together before, but we didn't release that song. But um, one of the best things in the world is to perform on stage with my brother. And I'm like holding back tears when I say that. So proud of our story right now. Yo, honestly though, he's another one that I'm mad excited for down the line. Uh, we haven't booked it yet because here's the problem. He's too busy grinding, hustling and building an I empire. Know. So I'm like, we're all busy right now. <laughs> nah, but don't get me wrong. We we, we talk in the DMs and we, we give each other some loves and shits. Like, Absolutely. you know, like I I really respect him a lot. So um, I think it's big praise. And on the real, like, yeah. smoking ink is good. I'm just throwing that out there. Just what it is. Bruh. Bruh. Can I? I want to say one thing about smoking ink, okay? Because I don't know a lot of people are like, oh my god, number one fan. The reason why I'm a number one fan, okay, it's, it's really, maybe there might be a little bit of biasness in there, but you're allowed. Not really. Not really. Because, first of all, I've seen my brother come up. I remember when he would call me up and like spit bars to me, and I'd be honest with him, you know, and be like, yeah, you know, just tighten up the flow a little bit. And I like that part, though. Uh, you know, changing his voices, trying something different. I'm like, yo, that voice, spit in that voice. And so, and then even with his production level, like the stuff he sent me in the last year, I was like, okay you're here now you're here you're here this is this is dope like people are going to start to notice that you're here now this is crazy yo just on his um, production and yes he, he threw in a beat for my like cypher thing yesterday when his beat came on i was like yo who the fuck is that beat like it was one of those i had to like ask moments because it was that like no offense to all the yep. other beat makers i love all y'all we're all homies but that beat Absolutely. stood the fuck out to me yeah was... well that that's from all the um the contest he's been winning like my brother's been grinding man like if there's a live review thing happening right now for you know to get producers out there he's in it he's involved he's building with them he's not just showing up to compete he's building with them he's like big okay facts. now this is what i'm working on so like i want to i want to collaborate my brother's big on collaborations and he's not in it for the money right now it's all passion so it's get true. him while he's still you know what i'm saying I in co-sign that, everything that she's saying from like, yo, literally, I just have to book up because I'm sponsored as shit last month. Like, I have to give his yeah. fucking uh, winner an interview. So I'm I hollering at uh, fucking five. Congrats to him for winning the, the whatever. Look at how that happened. Yo, That's why it's, it's beautiful. And he's from the West Island and I'm from the city and we would have never bumped into each other. Growing up, we would have never bumped into each other. So the fact that that like so many people in the Montreal scene now know who we both are is like I couldn't have written this shit myself and I'm a writer. OK, that to me, that was beautiful how that played out. I'm like to this day, I'm like, wow, 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 wow. It's crazy. Uh, and last thing I'll say about Smoking Ink for now, Jesse, 
his counterpart, the Kadera duo. Jesse was the lead guitarist and singer of a band once upon a time. So Jesse Bin had pipes, okay? And they started off in like a reggae type, you know, ska type, but he's got the vocals and he's a writer, right? So when Jesse decided to start rapping, my brother sent me a track. He's like, I emailed you something. He's very chill, you know? He doesn't hype himself up too much, but I sent you something. Give it a listen when you have a chance and call me when you listen. And I listened and I was like, oh, yeah, who's, who are you rapping with? And he's like, that's Jesse. I was like, Jesse, Jesse? He's like, yeah, that's Jesse. And then we like laughed. I was like, yo, what the hell? He's like, I know, right? Yo, we're about to take off. Like, we're going to take this to the next level. So I'm really, really happy to see where they're at right now. Yeah. Go check them out. I'm mad. I love it. And if y'all want to check it, I believe their interview with Let's Fins is somewhere on the internet. I hope because yeah. that shit was super enlightening for me. I watched it. The energy was dope. The setting was dope. And it was super informative. And it's a lot more bite sized than anything I'm ever going to do. So if this is, if you want the TLDR version, that shit's fire. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. So do you start your music career around 18 or are you still kind of like going through life and living the lives? So, okay, this is where that talent show comes in. Remember, we went to the, the public speaking. So after the public speaking now, I'm in grade 10, I believe, and we decided to do that. Well, I can't say we. It was a group of guys in my school, and, like, they were on the basketball team. They all hung out together, and they were all rapping together. And, um, and they used to, like, they'd freestyle at lunchtime. They'd actually go to the front of the school where we had all the recycle bins lined up, and they would just, and they would just cipher. And I was like, what is this? Now, as a poet, and kind of, you know, my dad raised me for a large part of my life, and I always felt like I owed it to him to be that chick. And I'm an alpha female. I, I come to terms with that a long time ago. So things like that excite me. I'm like, this, I like this. This makes me feel something. This is where everybody should be right now. There's this magic is happening here. Like in the States, this happens all the time. They make movies out of it. In Canada, like, you know, we should we should have more content out there that tells stories about how kids started in high school. Because there's a lot of beautiful things that start in high school. It's when you leave high school that they flatline. For me, it was different. It actually continued, which is like, I never thought that was gonna happen. So I was like soaking up all the little 15 minutes of fame I can get in high school because I didn't see how I would be able to take it or build it outside of here. So I was an opportunist. And, um, but in this case, I was actually pretty lucky. So they decided to plan a talent show. It was like four guys. They went to um, the uh, geography and history teacher, Mr. Bilodeau, who's on my Facebook. And I invited him to watch this. So if he ever watches this at any point, we owe a lot to you, sir. And he was like into Bob Marley. Like before you come into his class, especially if you have him after lunch, like he's still playing Bob as you're walking in, you know, as you're walking in the class, like no woman, no cry. So you want to, you want to do like a talent show, go to Mr. Stevens, who's the teacher, the drama teacher and go to Mr. Bilodeau because he's just that dude. And anything you wanted to do creatively, they would team up and they would go to council. They'd work it out. Love that. There should always be teachers like that who really listen to the kids and help create some type of recreational something for them because this is where their identity is. Yo, right? Big facts, though. Yo, people don't even know how important that is. Actually, I hit up my high school teacher. She literally liked my status, so I don't know if she's watching this or not. Hey. But like, I hit her up because we were talking, and I'm like, yo, you were really impactful to my future. And it's super sincere. Like To this day, like it probably helped shape my character because I can sincerely remember her enthusiasm in my writing. And, yes. um, I'm a literal professional writer, <laughs> a boring one, but it's literally part of my profession in my day job line. <laughs> 
Well, you're you're a journalist now, right? No, no, my day job. I literally get paid to write shit down a lot. I'm writing a training. I'm at like 2,500 words into that shit, and I got to probably... I just get paid to like read shit and write shit and think about shit. That's my day job. I mean, it's more specific, but it is. That keeps you sharp. Yo, it is. I'm so blessed. That's why I don't leave my day job. It's really like, it's blessings. Um, but yeah, so like, I agree with what you're saying. Cause I think, um, and I think a lot of the teachers might not even realize the impact they have when they do these yeah. things. Cause we don't yes. know it till like fucking in our thirties and shit. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? I'll tell you, I went from zero to hero real quick when I was put in a situation I could thrive in. Cause I struggled with my course, struggled to stay focused. I, a lot of things just didn't mean much to me. Like, again, I would write poetry in class. I didn't care about what we were learning about. History wasn't important to me. I failed Mr. Bilodeau's class, but I turned his talent show up though. Like, and I think after I did that, he kind of had a better understanding of like, okay, I get you now that you're a creative person. Your mind goes like this. You get bored with this 1962 and the conscriptions. Yeah, you don't care about this stuff. So they had a talent show and uh, these dudes linked up and they did this, they, they decided to plan one. And one of them was my friend and he was like oh, an amazing rapper. And that's the first time I ever seen anybody freestyle. And he was also an amazing um, break dancer too. So um, he knew I wrote poetry. Like he was one of those people who would like borrow my book and then come back and be like, yo, that second one, yo. So he comes to me one day and he's like, um, you're a poet. I said, yeah, he goes, <laughs> big up to Larry. Cause he had a bad stutter, okay. But when he freestyled, when he rapped, it was magical. No stutter, no stutter. So he was like, y- you write poetry. I was like, yeah. He's like, you ever tried rapping? And I was like, no, should I be trying to rap? Like what? So I have to thank him because it's that conversation that made me think, cause again, I'm searching for identity. I want to do something cool. I want people to remember me. I don't want to be the quiet, shy girl. I want to be known for something that makes me look good, right? So that gives me respect. So um, he actually sent me, this is when Lil Bow Wow dropped his first single. Yeah. With, with Snoop Dogg, right? Um, Bow Wow Wow, yippee-yo, yippee-yay. Where are my dogs my at? Dog Bark at. with me now. Bark with me now. <laughs> right, so <laughs> he sends me, I don't know how he got the instrumental, but again, these kids were ripping CDs. They were making CDs and stuff and they had access to computers. I didn't. Like you, I remember that interview. You were saying you didn't really have a computer until like you were 19 or 20. And that's yeah. the same thing for me. I was like 19 and I bought myself a computer. My first job. I was like, finally, I'm up in this. But he brought me this CD with this instrumental on it. He's like, take this home and try to rap up into the hook. Uh, it may have been eight eight bars. It may have been 16. I don't know. But he was like, just try to write the verse. And like, he's like, okay, but what I want you to do. Okay, anyway. So I go home and I write. Right oh, sorry. No, keep going. No, don't worry. I'm, it makes sense this way. Because I didn't write the hook. First, he tested me to see if I okay, could okay. write a verse. It's baby steps. So I go home and I write this verse. No pressure, no nothing. I don't know what this is for. This is just for fun. So like not knowing that he was planning a talent show. So I'm like, okay, I just go home and I do this thing. And I call him up and I spit it for him. And he goes, yo, hold on a second. All right, okay. And he calls up Buddy on three-way. Yo, Tasha, you there? I'm like, yeah. He's like, yo, spit that again. Yo, Dwayne, listen to this. So I spit it again. And he's like, what? Tasha? 
So I was like, okay, maybe we have something here. So then the same guy who came to me originally said, okay, I have an idea for the hook. What we're going to do is we're going to take the original song, but we're just going to change a couple words. So I'm like, okay. So basically they tell me, all right, we want you to perform this with us. This, this is going to hype up the talent show because it's all dudes. I'm the only female coming in and nobody has a clue. No one knows that I rap. No one knows I'm about to hit the stage. No one knows anything. So uh, we go to the auditorium and it was during lunchtime. And uh, I remember I stood behind the curtain. He rapped the whole first verse. Um, I sang the hook from backstage. So people thought it was in the music. And then he did the second verse. I sang the hook again. Well, third verse, I come out rapping and I like move the curtain and I'm just like, blah, blah, blah. I don't remember what I wrote, but I came out like, you know, like, yeah, yeah, it's me bitches type thing. And people were like freaking out. So the whole energy in the auditorium of like your public speech, that was me spitting my verse. When I was done that show, um, I remember like people in the hallway, like, yo, Tasha, yo, big ups. And I was like, okay. So it was super bizarre to me, but I was like, I think, I think people like this. I think this, this might work. So, uh, and after that I did like, um, the drama class would have this thing uh, peer mediation camp, you go away for the weekend. They had a talent show there too. And that was um, put on by the drama teacher. So remember the drama teacher and the history teacher worked together. So the talent show, the first one I did was the history teacher. And this one now was put on by the drama teacher. Um, also in drama class, my last year, um, my teacher was like, I want you to try out for the school play. Okay, so I'm bouncing. We did that uh, peer mediation camp. We had a little talent show. And I sang, and that's when uh, a lot of kids, when we came back from that, and it was a Mariah Carey song, can't take that away from me. And I did it a cappella, just the first verse. And when I came back to school on Monday, uh, everyone who was at the camp had told all their friends. So when I showed up on Monday, they were like, Tasha, apparently you have an amazing voice. Can you sing something for me right now? And I had people that would pass me in the halls. They were way too cool for me, but now they're like, can you sing something for us? And I was like, uh. So I would just like put bare my soul and they were like, oh my God, I feel like I'm going to cry my goosebumps. Oh my God. And I was like, holy shit, man. So that's, that's where that started in high school. And uh, yeah, did the, the, the play. My drama teacher um, wrote this scene where I'm singing. I remember being absent that day. Now I had to play catch up. So I come back to school. We're in the auditorium, <laughs> that auditorium. And uh, I'm reading like, you know, the fifth, the fifth page and it's, you know, I'm reading my lines and I'm seeing where it's going. Right. We're sitting around a campfire. And then I'm like, my boyfriend in the play was like, yeah, she sings to me all the time on the phone. And I'm like reading this, like, what, what, where's this going? And then it's like, Natasha sings Etta James at last. And I was like, you didn't talk to me about this, man. You wrote it in the script. Like, so you're going to make me sing. He's like, you better sing. And so I have to thank my drama teacher, who was also a musician, a drama teacher slash musician songwriter. He had music playing in universities. And I was like, he was a huge advocate of me. And he was like, I don't, I don't know what your future holds, but you can go like crazy places if you apply yourself. I was like, thank you. So I went out, I left high school with a bang. Right after high school, right? Like a few weeks after I auditioned for Canadian Idol whoa what and then what? I, it was yeah it was the week and after the play and it was like may something may 20 something and then school was finished and then uh canadian idol the, the following weekend 
So I was like still in like stage energy and we performed it twice on the senior campus and once on the junior campus, the same play three times. So by the time I, I left high school, I was like, <clears throat> I need a stage. Like I, I'm hungry. Like I just did this and I want to stay hot. I want to stay fresh. So I did the Canadian Idol. No, I didn't make it to anywhere. I was in the last group of 20 to be seen. Um, and you know, if you're not Whitney by that time, you know, but it, it definitely like, I stopped being shy. That whole week, that was a big weekend for me and I stopped being shy. That's cool. That's a lot. <laughs> it is a lot. It was a lot. So when did you like decide I'm gonna like go make my own shit? Um it was uh two thousand nine. And when was this uh, Canadian Idol thing? Canadian Idol was 2003. All right. So what happened between 2003 and 2009, if you want to talk about stuff? 2003 2009. Well, I moved out at 19. So pretty much the summer after I graduated, I was working my first full-time job and I was looking to move out. My grandmother was like, you're 18. You're almost 19 now. You want to live life the way you want. You want to come and go the way you want. You want to eat what you want. Like it's either you pay bills around here or you move out. And I was like, I'm moving out. And that's, that's just the Leo in me that just wants my own space. Cause I went through years of living with my grandmother. Sorry, my diffuser is like going off um where i, I had to super like curious what it was i was like is she burning incense like what is happening oh i love diffusers they're so fucking cool with the oils and whatnot right, right? i got my i got my stones and stuff anyway so um yeah i was like i don't want to i'm Natasha, turn on the blast the music and i was like no nah, i can't live like this i need to be able to sing when i want how i want i don't want to hear nothing from nobody so 19 i moved out and um and yeah i had to grow up again real quick paying bills and shit and people are still like hanging out at home going to college and i'm there like working a full-time job trying to pay my rent so that's where my focus was for a long time um you know, getting into debt at the age of 21 and shit, you know, so the last thing on my mind. I didn't even start till I was 25. So who am I to judge anybody for living life a little bit between like 18 and whatever, you know, that's just life. Yeah. Live life. Like not everyone can just be like, yo, I'm like down with the cause since 19. I mean, a lot of y'all are, I'm not. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, I'm not, yeah, was, I don't, you know, it is what it is. Like, I don't regret any of it. I was maybe resentful at the time. Like, life must be sweet. You ain't got to pay no bills, you know. Oh, did the basement's your bedroom? Excuse me. You know, like, I just, I didn't have that life. I just didn't. So I had to work hard. Yeah, and I was, relatable. like, flying by the seat of my pants, trying to pay my bills and not get evicted and get food for my cat. Like, and there's a lot of my friends who remember me back then. And I was braiding hair. I started that in high school. I was like making side change, braiding hair. People would come check me and me and my cat. Yo, Nat, spit us that last poem that you wrote. So I never stopped writing. Um, but somewhere in 2008, now I have to say between two, 2007 and 2009 is when I realized that there was a lot of my peers, people that I knew personally, who were in music, recording and performing okay. at Dawson and things like that. So I was like, hold the hell on, like people are doing this. So what was originally like this, this like unachievable, you know, dream became a bit more realistic when I realized that people I know, people I grew up with are doing this. So 
I was just trying to find a way to merge from being like solo dolo, you know, in my own apartment with my cat to like hitting a stage. I was like, so who do I talk to? Like, what, how do I get in? And, and I remember having a little bit too much pride to like go up to the people I knew personally and be like, yo, help me out. Cause I was like, bitch, you know, I could sing. Okay. You've been knowing I could rap. You ain't hollering at me to jump on anything. Okay. I see what it is. So it's just you, you're a star. Okay. Okay. So there was this little level of like, okay, I might not get any help on this. I got to pave my own way and that's okay. So I took seeing them perform and stuff as that motivation to say, well, if they can do it, I can do it. And I don't want their help. They don't want to offer me help and I ain't going to ask. So I started doing it my own way and we had YouTube. First I had MySpace. I did have MySpace. Um, and before I had any music, I put some of my poems up there. There was actually like a poem forum. Remember those forums where like you linked up with the, other writers? I don't remember the MySpace version because I don't remember it at all. I can remember music on MySpace, but I remember the Facebook stuff. That was basically the same shit. So same thing. Very, very relatable. Yeah, I would literally copy and paste what I did on Facebook to my MySpace. Um, so I was doing that. And the opportunity came. I'm just checking my battery. I got my charger ready to go. We're all good. Okay. Amazing. So the opportunity came when, um, okay, so here's how Dawson happened, because I didn't go to college. Um, I started hanging around Dawson because shortly after I met my brother in 2003, um, you know, he, he's from the West Island and he didn't know much about the city. Like he, like he came to visit me once and he may have had a, like a ride or something to get there. Like he didn't know how to navigate mm. within the city. He knew West Island at the back of his hand. So, but what he did know is how to get to Dawson. Like, I remember there was a time where I was like, okay, I need you to meet me on this street downtown. And he was like, I don't know where that is. I'm like, bro, you don't know where that is. You go to Dawson, but you don't know where that is. He's like, no, I, I literally come out of the Metro go into Dawson and then go back okay. into the Metro. <laughs> I know what that is. So I turned 18 into West Island. I was up in like Coast St. Luke line until I was like 16. And then for some reason we moved to DDO and I'd had to like bust a wager from fucking dollar. I digress. I turned 18 out there. I remember one time I'm driving around and somebody's like, yo, come to like Tupper street. And I'm like, I don't know where the fuck yes. Tupper street is. And they didn't believe me. They didn't believe that I didn't know where that was. And I'm like, but I'm from the West Island. Yeah. I don't know this shit. Yeah, right. I feel that. I feel so that. yeah, I, I was floored. I was floored. But as soon as he told me, I'm like, ah, got you. I was like, say less. I completely understand. Okay. So you're like a worm, a tunnel worm. Okay. I got you. I got you. I'll meet you at Dawson. So I would start like linking up with my brother. Cause that was like where we could meet. Cause I didn't know how to navigate to the West Island and it would take me forever. So Dawson was where we would link up. Mm. So Dawson is where I realized a lot of people would link up. So people who didn't even go to Dawson, right? They knew when to get there, when lunchtime was, and they would just hang out in Conrad's and whatever. So I was like, okay, people could just chill up in here. Like, even if you don't go here, you could chill up in here. So I wouldn't, I wasn't one of those people who was always at Dawson, but I met a lot of talented people at Dawson. And one of them I just have to mention is Lion, David Lyon, who actually, I don't know if he's still out in LA right now, but uh, he moved out there for a while and he started doing like magic in Conrad's. And Hold he was on, hypnotizing like... people. Wow. Unexpected twist. David Mayan. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so Dawson became like the place to be. And then my friends knew who he was personally. So it was like a few degrees separation, you know? So then we started to be like, yo, what up? What up? What up? So the cool thing is my brother was, remember Street Heat? 
they had this competition at Dawson. It was called Street Heat. I've heard of it, but I don't remember it. But it's come up on this uh, thing because a couple of people who you like have been in this in this era have been here talking before. But I, yeah. I wasn't part of it. I was in high school still. So that's where I met Urban Logics. Mm. And um, yeah, if it wasn't for Dawson, I wouldn't have known who he was. So I just saw like all these like creative people, their students, a lot of them, like Lion was actually going there. Logics was actually going there. And so they had like a fan base. And when they showed up and they touched the mic, like the Conrad's would just pack up, you know? So um, I was in that crowd watching the show. My brother was on the panel of judges. So when you talk about full circle, when you talk about people who've been doing this for a hot minute, my brother's one of those people. Mm. So he knew more about Dawson than I ever did. So I showed up like, hey, what's going on? Hey, hey, what's going on? What's going on? And then I started to learn very quickly who the talent was in the school because they were like not shy and they'd show up and they'd be in all these things. And then they had the after party. So they would start the competition in the school and then they'd have the after party at whatever club it was. It used to be Dome and then it was Saints. So when it was Saints, they would have the after party there and they would um, announce the winner there. So that's how they would sell tickets and make money. And I just thought this whole thing was crazy. Like these are my peers doing this. So, yeah, that's how I kind of got familiar with a lot of people there. So um, we had to bring that up for a hot second. Yeah, did um, you hear what she said, though? They uh, collaborated, her peers. They had a unified mission. They worked together. They created and leveraged an ecosystem of youth. Maybe we don't know how to have that, fair enough. But they still leveraged the systems available at their disposal, like the internet. Um and uh, they basically created a way to monetize their talent via ingenuity and teamwork. Yeah, fundraising. That's what you just told us through that little story. Yeah. These are the same yeah. people who go on to do amazing things for Montreal and really do a lot for the city that a lot of people don't know about today and we're fixing that. But yep. it's interesting that you brought that up because I just think it's like a common theme is people squat up and make moves happen. And when people are unified under a greater mission, a lot of cool things happen. Absolutely. And because they were over 18, they could book Saints. And I wasn't really going to clubs like that, like that. But that was like kind of my introduction to like fun times in a club full of my peers. Um, so, okay. So one of the girls who was going to Dawson at the time, they were, she was on this committee. She was like head of the committee. Um, and she was like, it was her responsibility to fundraise. So she was putting on a show. And I had a friend who knew her personally. And she was like, yo, I want to get my girl Tasha in there. Tasha writes sick poetry. So she was having the show at Cafe Campus downtown. And um, I believe it was 2007 or 8. And, uh, and I was like, she told me the theme. And the theme was called Friction. And I may still have that flyer around here somewhere. And basically it was like raunchy. And I was like, okay. Now this is an interesting way to kind of make a, not a comeback because no one's checking for me, right? Like I'm me and all these, I don't know any of these people except for the few people that I know from childhood and they're hitting the stage later too, you know? Hey, Nat, what's up? Oh, you're in the show. I was like, yeah, bitch, I'm in the show. And I didn't ask you to get me in the show. Like, yeah, I found the back door and you go, okay. And I just have to stress that because that level of competition meant a lot to me and they might not know it to this day, but I just said it. Yes, seeing my peers perform 
knowing that I was talented, but it was all about them. It showed me that a lot of people are just selfish as shit. So when you see people out here, like bringing people on, hold on to those people, treat them good. Okay. Mm -hmm. Build those relationships in that report because no one has to check for you. And even if they know you're talented, like you just, from very early on, I understood the aspect of competition and I didn't see myself as a threat, but you know, some people are just like, get in on your own. So I was like, okay. And that was an unspoken truth. So, all right, whatever. So I showed up in that show as a poet. Um, <laughs> that was a pretty dope piece. I have to say it was very cool. And that's kind of how I got my foot in the door a little bit. So that was my first time hitting a stage since high school. So you could imagine that that did something for me. That brought me back. And I was like, ooh, that feeling. Like, this reminds me of being in the auditorium. This reminds me of the public speech. Getting the, um, hearing the, the audience applause. I was like, yeah, there's something in this I want to keep going. And I think if I can get in this way and I keep it up, maybe this could actually go somewhere. So that's how we bridge the gap between high school performances and performances in clubs yeah, where huge. it mattered. They're exactly the same. You touched on martyrdom earlier, and we've talked about this in the DMs at one point, and you were like, I resonate with this. I do. Um, where in high school, you know, in English class, we read these, like, you know, tragedies and triumphant stories, and we learn about, you know, Shakespeare and stuff, right? Um, where am I going with this? Martyrdom. So I was realizing and questioning myself, you know, searching for identity. It's like, am I a martyr? I have martyr-like qualities, absolutely. I recognize that in myself through reading these short stories and whatever. And we had to do essays on these things. And I was really like, I resonate with this stuff heavy. But then I realized I don't want to die for my art. I want to live. I want to live as long as possible. So that gives me two choices, to die for my art or to find a way to elongate this journey in such a way that I can stick around and break this thing up, do music, you know, write some books and then go talk in some schools and then, you know, like become a teacher. Like the, I have a long list of things that I want to do because my purpose is something that I have been hip to since I started writing. When I would read back my stuff and say, uh, I must have channeled something there because this, what I wrote is bigger than me. Like this is for the masses, man. Like this is therapeutic. This is healing, not just for me, but for anyone who reads this. So like people need this, the world, needs this. When you start thinking about what the world needs and you see yourself as playing this small little role, you still understand that you have a large responsibility. So I was understanding my role very early on with Aleppo. Okay. Where is that in the world? I forget where. Uh, it's uh, fucking Syria. Syria. Thank you. I actually Googled that. So <clears throat> when, when I saw what was happening in Syria at the time, what amazed me and like pulled my heart out of my chest was because you have to remember I what made me start writing was pain so now I'm seeing someone else's pain and I'm triggered to write something I'm triggered I'm like the purpose the purpose the person who has a purpose is asking themselves what can you do to change this or what, what can you do to bring awareness to this we have the internet at this point people are like you see it on Twitter oh my god what's happening in Syria you see people on Facebook changing their profile picture right to syria pray for syria but no one's really like people are still like yo go check my album yo go yo i'm watching netflix yo and i was like nah like you need to be talking about this 
And I realized you can't force people to do anything. You can't. But when you have a purpose and you are a writer, when you're called to do something, you do it. You don't stop and explain anything to anybody. You just put it in the world because I believe that what you do creates a ripple effect. And people feel that shit. If they don't feel it now, they'll feel it eventually. They'll feel it one day when they go on your SoundCloud 10 years later and they see that shit. Oh, this is part of her purpose. She cares. It's not just about her. Right. It's like there is the level of selflessness because it's that martyrdom that kicks in as a writer that channels what's going on in the world and says, I need to do something with my role. One thing I always used to say is, OK, you have a microphone now. You have a microphone. Great. What are you going to do with it? What? Like, please understand out? that you have a power. Right. Understand that you have a role. You have power. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to talk about? Use that, right? It's a platform that not everyone has. Use that. So that's that, that with great power comes great responsibility. I knew I had power in my words because from all the feedback I got through the years since I was 12 years old, right? From singing to writing, people would stop and say, oh my God, chills. Oh my God, I needed that. That gave me energy. Oh my God. So I was like, okay, I have a role. I'm going to do something. And the thing that really pushed me is we had access to the internet. At the time, Twitter was big. So something's going on in the world, people will tweet about it. Mm. So I see things popping up on Twitter and I would tune in. I'd go like follow the link. It would take me to YouTube and I'm seeing like a live video. You know, when things happen right now yeah. for a good few hours, you're seeing CNN. No, but especially in right that era, because I was going to the gym at lunch at that time. And so I was watching the news and so I am like vividly remembering the type of footage you're talking about. Yeah. And what killed me was the people who had Twitter, who were in Aleppo, things were blowing up around them. Children were crying and screaming. Explosions were going off and they were tweeting for their last time. Now, as a human being, if you don't feel that, something's wrong with you. So I was watching this and I'm seeing people's tweets and people are like retweeting people. And I'm just like, oh my God, it's very equivalent to 9-11 where it's like people are sending out their last text messages. And I was like, these are the heroes of the world right now. Like, wow, you know, imagine that's your last tweet as you're typing it. So that hit me, it hit me so hard. I was like, we need to talk about this. And it's all because of war, money, power. I'm beyond fed up. So that's the part of me that's a martyr that is just like, I'm not, I don't wanna die for this. But if you're gonna live, use your voice. Please use your voice, like hell, use your voice. And it. so that's what urged me to do that. Yeah. And I recorded it on my phone off of a voice note. I went in the truck where it was nice and quiet and I recorded that and I sent it, I sent it to my brother and I was like, let me know what you think about this because I'm compelled to put this on the internet. I think I'm gonna put it on my SoundCloud and I don't want it to look like, uh, you know, pandering, but I just feel like people need to pay attention, you know? And so my brother was like, yo, that, that need, yo, people need to hear this. And he's like, yo, send me that clip. I want to see if I could, if I could do something there for you. And, um, and I think he had added a few things in there, like some news clips or something. He, he had done something. He, he did yeah, like a montage. Yeah. For me. Yo, and I was gorgeous. like, that was a collaboration between myself and my brother, just because I we believe that. in each other. I'm not even going to lie. Cause it says Braswell beats in a SoundCloud. And so it caught my eye. Yes. It was absolutely yes. something I paid attention to. Um, 
but yeah, he was right. Um, it really resonated with me today. So, I mean, look at that 2021, January 27th, and I listened to that, and it made me feel things, you know, because look at what the world is today. But the fact is, it shows where you were at, too. To me, these are, like, moments where you can look back and be like, I've always been about that, about that, and then there's proof to the pudding right Exactly. There. So, I did that, and then I made a YouTube. Mm. And... Um, and then it was a field day for me because you're talking to someone who grew up, you know, studying the radio, learning songs. I already had favorite songs, favorite albums. I knew songs back to back, many songs back to back. So the content was already there. I just needed to film it. So I actually had a decent camera for back then times. And, you know, I started doing the 13, 14, 25 takes, and then I'd select the best one. And then that's the one that would get uploaded to YouTube. So um, I had done, uh, I covered uh, a chaos song. Um, the Man I Used to Be. Remember that song? Maybe, probably. Can you sing it? Yeah, give me a sec. Because it started off with like this intro. I woke up in the morning. I took a trip to the corner store. That's when I heard my calling. Okay, yeah. But I never heard the voice of truth before. So I kept on walking. Something pretended I didn't see. Walked past a window and my reflection said to me, just... you can try all this thing, but you'll never know this mystery. So I, that... <sighs> John Legend is what Rico Blocks is saying. That was chaos. All right, that's the intro to the man I used to be. Oh, I do remember um, I that believe... track. Okay, yeah, it just clicked. It took a second. It took a second. Yeah, and then he also had a Heaven Only Knows. I didn't post that one, but there was a time where I was I was put onto chaos. Like I knew he was there, and I would see his videos on Much Music, and I would always feel them. But when it came to like, what song do I connect with that I think I can perform well on my YouTube that kind of like shows people who I am. I, I can sing it like it's my own, like I wrote it, like I mean that. And so that's that's what like the one of the first videos I put up there. Then there was one by India Ari. I believe it was Ready for Love um, or some other song. So I got my YouTube up and going. Um, and then I actually, now this is what they call beginner's luck. I uh, I was trying to network, and this might have been before I made a, a Facebook artist page, which is still the original Facebook artist page. Only thing is my name has changed a couple times since then, but it's the original page where I was known as Miss T. This is right before I made that artist page. So I just had a little YouTube, and I was like posting the links to the videos and posting it up on my Facebook and getting people's feedback. So I did that, and then I saw this gentleman who had posted a status saying that he was shooting a video and he was looking for models. And I low key always kind of modeled, um, especially in my neighborhood. Hold I was up, hold part up. Of Let, the let's pause. When did you start modeling? Um, why is my ring light not? Okay. There we go. <laughs> Technically, since I was a little girl, professionally, uh, when I was about 16, 15 or 16, my dad was also a photographer and he was a damn good one. So as, as good as he could draw is as good as his pictures were. Like people would hire him to take pictures for their weddings and shit. So he had an eye and a look and his dream for me was to be a model. So searching for my identity before I even found my voice, before I even realized I wanna sing, my dad already had set me up 
to be this model. Like, you know, and he trained me. He says, what are you going to tell people when they ask you, what are you going to be when you grow up? And I said, a model. He's like, that's right. So that was my thing to, you know, live out my dad's dream. But I, I found it boring. So I did it a few times in my neighborhood and whatever. And I did a few shows, fashion shows, and people would be like, you should model, you should model. But I found that um, <laughs> without going too far off, but it is a part of my history. Um, I tried a few things. I realized a lot of the times it's a money grab. There's a lot of scams out there that just want to take your money. A lot of young girls are like, you know, exploited and things. And I didn't have a manager. So again, a girl in a dream. How do we go about this? You know, so I spent money in a few places and realized it didn't get me very far. And so it was there, you know, under my belt, but it wasn't my focus. So I see that he's shooting this music video and I'm thinking I need exposure. I don't care how, well, it's not that I don't care how I get it, but I saw an opportunity to get good exposure in this music video. So I messaged him and I said, I'd like to be in your video. He says, okay, cool. Well, I can't pay you, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to take the, uh, the girls out to eat after, you know, at a local restaurant nearby. And I was like, all right, cool. But I just wanted the exposure. I didn't care about the money. And I understood that, you know, it's the people who don't go straight for the dollar that get all the opportunities because a lot of people, there's opportunities everywhere, but not everyone is, is um, able to pay people. You know, people are always looking for people to be in their videos, but as soon as they talk about, well, how much you pay? And it's like, I don't have a budget, you know, it's volunteer shit, you know? So I volunteered, I'm no problem. So I went to this guy's thing and I end up, you know, beginner's luck again, I get there and I see a girl I know. And of all the girls he hit up to be in this thing, cause no one's getting paid, right? So you might have 15 girls who say they're coming, but day of the shooting only three show up. <laughs> so I get there and I'm one of three girls and one of the other girls I know. And I recognized her from Dawson and from, you know, these shows and the competitions. I'm like, hey, are you kidding me? Like we had each other on Facebook and we had only met like that year. So it was, I thought it was pretty crazy. So when we're, she knew I was getting into music. She saw my post, she was supporting me. So when we were done, um, I think she had mentioned something. Like we were sitting in the restaurant and he was asking us, something like one of the girls couldn't stay and it was just me and the other girl who know each other that were able to stay so it became like a personal conversation and he was like so your friend tells me that you're trying to record or that you sing or, or you rap like what's 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 that about so that's how the conversation opened up and he said well I actually have links I can get you in the studio and I thought really and he says well yeah I produce as well so if you need beats just let me know and I thought whoa well when you think about why did I answer this post? Why did I feel compelled to do that? I followed my intuition and it led me right to a beautiful prophetic moment. What I didn't know at the time was the guy I was talking to whose video I was in was one of the engineers at RBR Records. Now you just had an interview with Meticulous and he talked to you about RBR Records. So he was one of the engineers and I didn't know what RBR Records was. And I think that was when RBR Records was just kind of starting to like dissipate and all the artists were starting to like separate. The label was falling apart. I think they moved locations. And so this guy was actually making music out of like this loft downtown, which is the same place that Meticulous was describing to you. So he like moved whatever, whatever was left of RBR, he moved it to this location. And I remember because when I went, well, we filmed the video in that location in the living room, but he showed me the other room the next time I, I met up with him to record, he gave me the same address. I was confused. So I go to the same address where we shot the video and he opens up this other room and it's a recording space with a couch. RBR letters are on the wall. I'm like, what? This is so weird. So that was my 
you know, me finding out that there was this one place where they were just doing different, it was like a creative space. So this time, same location, but now we're in the studio. Close the curtain, record in the corner. Mm. So it's because of him that I ended up, again, beginner's luck. Um, he was working on, okay, at the beginning of this interview, you talked hold about up, people who up. would- I just got to interject this beginner's luck yeah. nonsense. I don't know about beginner's luck. We're coming up to like three hours. Yeah. And we barely started your music career. What beginner's yeah. luck? <laughs> you had so much experience, practice, and you didn't know about it, but you've given yeah. all the flowers to everyone involved. Like you're supposed to showing your humility and appreciation. But like... Before this happened, you're like, I started a YouTube. So if you think about how people get signed today, just by contrast, they're looking for people who are capable of building their own buzz. Like, it's not lost on me that a complex could notice me, you know? <laughs> it's not lost yeah. on me that because I'm able to generate and blah, 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 put in moves and make the work and show the ethics. So it's not just like you were randomly singing this one time. It's like you had a YouTube out. You've already done tracks. You've already done this. You've already done this poetry thing. Like, you've already got a reputation. You've already been around. You've already put in the groundwork networking. Like, you didn't yeah. just get beginner's luck. You may have had it at no, one point. But at this point, it's because you created opportunities so efficiently yeah. in your life. Yeah. That's all I'm gonna say. It was like a build it and it will build it and they will come type of situation. So again, when you're ready for something and you're already in alignment, you're working towards it, you then start to attract people, situations and opportunities that are in alignment with what you're doing. So yeah, I was attracting it. Absolutely right. I don't want to call it luck. I think the only reason why I call it beginner's luck is because I've heard of a lot of people who have been in the studio for a long time, performing for a long time and still never landed dope ass opportunities. And here I was just starting and it, I feel like life was like throwing me a bone here and there. And so that's why it felt like luck. Cause I was like, Whoa, this is obviously before I believed in like, I don't, I don't believe in coincidence anymore. But when I tell this story, I just, I don't, for whatever reason, I feel like it's beginner's luck because I, I got really lucky, like for lack of a better word, it was destined. It was prophetic. I built it and it came, but, um, it's the opportunity that came too. Like I said, some people work a long time and, and they don't get those opportunities that can really catapult their career. And here I was just starting and I'm meeting a guy who is working with MC Mario. So hold up. You mean when yeah. I was young and I was recording. You pause. Not everyone here is from Montreal and might not know what that means. Right. So as an example, right. shout out We Speak English Good who does some dope content. Y'all should go follow them. So they just popped up in the chat. So I just hoping you could expand on the significance of what MC Mario is to those yeah. who may not know. Right. So this, I'm like, hold up. So I went from being in my in my bedroom in elementary school throughout high school because he had a long run. I, is he still doing it? Like a long run of being a DJ and having his own segment on one of the hottest radio stations in the city. And like every Saturday night, there was a house party, you know, like, and he would actually do like these uh, mix downs. So he would take all the hottest tracks from his playlist um, that would play on air. And then he would make a compilation out of it and then sell that. So you would go to the local HMV at the time or record store where they sold CDs and stuff. And you could find MC Mario section and go cop all the mix downs from all the previous years up into that current point. So... 
I'm recording with this guy and I used to record the radio on cassette, side A and side B. And that's how I would study the top 40. And that's why I think I have a really good um, sense of what makes a hit because I've been listening to the top 40 since I was 10 years old, right? So I'm recording in the studio with this guy who was like, do you know MC Mario? I'm like, yeah, what about him? He's like, well, I'm, I'm, you know, we're working on these remixes. And you know the mix downs and at the time i wasn't really familiar but i was like okay i think i know what you're talking about he's like you know every year he makes these songs there's like 20 songs on the on the thing the top 20 songs of the year i'm like okay cool so he's like well basically uh i'm working with him directly there's like one go-between who i you know answer to and then he goes back to mc mario and we get the final answer but basically there's three songs we're working on right now trying to make a remix for them. One of them is Na 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 with Akon. I wanna make love right na na na. Then there was uh, Flo Rider and Kesha's Right Round. So they remixed um, Spin spin the Record Right Round, like that right. 80s track. Right, right. So they had already remixed it, but it was so hot at the time that it was. they saw an opportunity to remix it again. So there was that song and then there was one other one I don't remember and they wanted to do more of like a French version, have a French first and the plan was to bust it in France. So I stumble upon this opportunity and he's like, you know, you're a female artist, you're trying to get your foot in the door and he didn't have to pay me, right? Cause I'm new and I'm like, sure, let's try it. Let's see what works. So I ended up recording vocals for the Na 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 song and the Flow Rider one and the Flow Rider one is the one that they grabbed. And they put it on the 2009 MC Mario mixdown. So oh, wow. every song that was on the mixdown was playing on M on M uh, mix 96. So basically, y'all just gotta know because she's not like really giving herself enough credit. So like y'all don't if you're from Montreal, mix 96 is the poppest shit in the world, but everybody listens to it. Now after what 11 o'clock at night, like fucking five days a week, MC Mario maybe not. I'm remembering in the best I can. But either way, yeah. you knew. I think it was maybe Saturday nights or whatever. But MC Mario yeah. basically got this the hottest fucking slot on the radio, and he would yep. spin live from clubs and shit. And it was like yep. everybody knew what an MC Mario was. I even think he's still dropping today. I just don't know that anybody in my life is now talking about it. Mix 96 is now Virgin 96. That happens. Um, I don't know if MC Mario is still fucking around with it, but I know I've checked his wiki page recently, and I know that shit's still happening. But to hear that you... Because, yo, in 2009, though, MC Mario is definitely heyday shit. We're talking, like, at least in Montreal, like, that's a big news bears. Like, if you were... That would be, like, some shit that I would be, like, throwing around everywhere I fucking went. Like, I'm on MC Mario shit. Yeah, it's that yeah. big. That's it. And and the craziest part was he would play that whole thing. The MC, the mix down 2009 mix down just dropped. So that's an hour of music that he would just push in the CD and press play, you know? And he would just come on the mic every so often. Uh, you just heard da, 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 by whatever, whatever. Next up we have. And um, so that was like, again, the beginner's luck that I'm talking about where it's like, who, who does that? Who comes out of nowhere, you know, is in a music video. It's, dealing with a producer and he's connected to MC Mario. And there's so many people, so many females in the city who were grinding at the time. I didn't really know too many of them personally. I could probably count them on one hand, maybe even just two or three singers that I knew of. And he could have easily went to them, but I think he was worried about, you know, uh, labels or signing contracts. And as a newbie, 
you know, not doing the contract thing, I, I landed a pretty cool opportunity there. I actually was performing a show the night Michael Jackson died. And I remember pulling out a curl and I wet it and it curled up and I ripped the hell out of that performance because I felt the energy of Michael. So whatever reason that was supposed to come through, that came through. But um, musical influences, channeling energy, spirituality, it's all connected to me. So uh, yeah, it was playing all over the radio, all over. My cousin would call me, he was working at UPS and he would call me like, yo Nat, they're playing the song right now. And I'm telling everybody I work with that, yo, that's my cousin. And I walked, I remember walking by this like falafel place on Saint Laurent street and I walked in to get water or something and it was playing. And I was like, oh my God. And I walk up to the counter, I'm like, this is me right now. And he was like, are you serious? You come back here, you get free for Shishtahuk. And I was like, okay, okay. And I never went back. But I felt like a small time celebrity. I was like, oh my God, because all the clubs on Saint Laurent are playing Mix 96 right now. And that means that if he's playing it, that as I walk by, I'm hearing the song come out from different like stores and stuff. And I was like, oh my God, and nobody knows. Nobody knows. I'm walking by myself up the street and nobody knows that I'm playing right now. So that was a big deal. Holy um, shit. For real though, eh? Like nobody knew it was you because you're not really like, getting that like fucking exposure in that regard do people believe you like do people ever doubt you when you brought it up not really because um it, i would post the link a lot of people to this day remember i was posting mm. the link like go and download you know on itunes or whatever go and download the only thing that was kind of like pissy about that situation is my name wasn't on the song and i was only in the hook so it was a big deal for me, but they didn't, it wasn't worth them crediting me. Hold up, so, hold up. That's a big thing. Okay, this is the first yeah. time in my entire fucking life this has been an opportunity to like talk about this because we do these yeah. album reviews, like lots yeah. of album reviews. And this happens so fucking often where like a person's on a hook and like there's no credit or there's nothing. It's like it's ghosted. It's just this voice. And you're like, who is that? And there are people that like to this day the internet has not figured it out and like how does that happen and i don't mean it like in a disrespectful way but can you like shed light on how that comes to be to be honest i think not having a contract has a lot to do with it not having management representation to fight for your rights so again i'm a girl off the street i happen to land this opportunity do they owe me anything in their eyes no am i am i strong arming them to make sure i get my credit no and it actually kind of happened behind my back because i didn't know the exact date that the cd would be launched i didn't know i mean i was there to perform the song at um at the time it was 12:34. then it became Le sank and since covid it's shut down but at one point, MC Mario, like 1234 was his club. Mm -hmm. Like that's where he would do everything out of. So he had a CD launching there and they asked us to come and perform it. And that was pretty cool. Confetti falling from the ceiling. It's one of the first videos on my YouTube channel, actually. Like one of, it's like the first in the group of first 10, whatever. Um, and I made sure to do that because when they, when they, when they shafted me on the song, but asked me to still come and perform. Uh, I had a friend come with me that night and I was like, film this, film me performing this song, please. And then I put it on my YouTube and they tried to copyright claim me. And I was like, no, they like flagged my video. And I was like, uh-uh, bitch, I'm on it. You know, like go do your research. But I, I like fought the claim and then finally it was like, okay, you know, but it's there. Um, but here's the other shaft that came soon after. 
they wanted to perform the song. They wanted us to perform the song at Beach Club. That was a big deal. And the same dude who gave me this opportunity, the producer, um, was like, okay, so are you down to perform it? I said, yeah. Now, I was with someone at the time who knew a little bit about this type of stuff and was like, how much are they paying you? So I said, well, you know, and I'm like, you're going to ruin my opportunity. I can't talk about money now. I can't bring a contract into this now. They're going to like throw me to the side, but they kind of already did that. Right. So I kind of felt like I was skating on thin ice and I didn't want to be a problem. I didn't want to be hard to work with. I wanted to be grateful. Right. But they play off that. So that's why contracts are so important and having representation, especially as a female is so important. I would just thought especially like, when just, you're on the come up. It's not even just as a female, like, and I mean, don't get me wrong. There's a whole layers to the female thing. And I don't want to like diminish yeah. that. But the number of guys I know with the same fucking story, I've watched people prey on people I know. And yeah. it's like, it's a real, I really don't want to go into specifics at this moment. I'm a little tired. So I'm not on my like a game to finesse this one. Yeah. But I've seen it myself, so I'm really glad you're discussing this because it's fucking big news bears. And anytime contracts and the importance of paperwork, knowing your rights, knowing your value, that's big shit that needs to be discussed. Yeah, and a lot of the time, as soon as you bring up a contract, and I learned this from modeling, as soon as you bring up a contract, they're like, next. They literally prey on the innocent people who don't know any better. And I was the deer in the headlights at the time, just grateful for an opportunity going off my beginner's luck. Um, and again, this all stemmed from me answering the call to someone's status to be in their music video. So I'm thinking like, whoa, this started here and it went here so fast, so fast. Like I was like, I don't want to screw this up. You know, like I could go places from here. Like this might work for me. This might be how I entered the industry. So I was trying to be so careful with it. Um, so the dude calls me up and he says, are you down to perform at beach club? And I said, sure. Yeah, that'd be great. And at the time I didn't know anything about beach club. I didn't care. I didn't know, but it was hot. It was hot for a good run. So this is 2009. And, um, and he says, okay, so I'm going to send you the flyer or whatever, whatever. I said, okay. And he goes, but I have to let you know, like, um, they kind of want to change your name. Now, when I was rapping in high school, I had somebody tag me as Miss T. Soon as I got off stage and I was in the hall, they're like, yo, T. I'm like, huh? He's like, yo, Miss T. That's what they should, that's what people should be calling you, Miss T. Because Miss, because you just walk up in the spot. You just command and demand that respect. And then T for Tasha. It was very generic. When I got on MySpace, there was a million and a half Miss T's. Felt the exact same way. And I was like, damn. So I always knew I wanted to change my name. But this is still in the beginning of, well, this is who I am. And I don't know what other name to go by. And I like it. It works for me. So... And I already put it in rhymes and stuff, you know? So anyway, so he's like, I'm going to send you the flyer. I opened the flyer and they spelt it M-I-S-T-Y. I'm like, that's not how I spell it. That's Misty. I don't know who Misty is. Misty Blues, Misty. I'm not Misty. I miss T. Uh, and he was like, well, you know, there's a lot of French people who are going to be here. And, you know, MC Mario has a big French following. And like, basically it's good for business if, you, if we switch it to Misty. And I was like, I don't feel comfortable with that. And here's me exercising my voice, still trying to be delicate with the situation. I don't want to be complicated or hard to work with, but you're trying to change my name, bro. And I don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. So you're talking about my identity. And once I pick this and go with this and I'm identified as this, I'm this for the rest of my career. I just got started. I can't, I can't commit to that type of, right. That type of decision. So I stood up for myself and I said, no, like, and it's just a spelling dog. Like 
you're putting the emphasis on a different word. That's all it is, guys. How hard is it, no matter what language you speak, to say Miss T? It's not hard. You're just you're just pulling that control card with me. You're just trying to do that. And that's where I started to feel like a puppet, you know, like, ah, just make her change her name. And I was like, screw you guys. So I nicely said, no, I'm not comfortable with that. Okay, but you could miss out on a big opportunity. Like, it's not that big of a deal. And I'm like, no, I think it is. And then on top of us, and how much are you paying me anyways? Well, I mean, they're not really writing you a check, but I'm going to give you a cut of what they pay me. Oh, okay. Well, you know what? And I was like, ah, bad taste in my mouth. And I was like, no, I, I'm unfortunately. And it was put to me like it's either we change your name to Misty and put it on the flyer and the flyer is already made. So I kind of felt like that was a stab in the back. Before you even ask me how I feel, the flyer is already made. So I'm like, no, I'm not okay with that. And then you don't want to pay me. And then if I don't say yes to Misty, then what? I can't show up as Misty. <laughs> I can't. So basically that fell through. And it's not until years later when my buddy from Vegas told me we're in the truck, he's in Montreal filming one of my music videos and he's playing songs in the truck, my songs, you know, and then that song comes on and I'm like, yo, I haven't heard this in a long time. Where'd you find this? And he's like, well, I downloaded it. I said, excuse me. I think like, I downloaded it on iTunes. And I'm like, for how much? He's like a dollar 99, I think. I said, really? So my name is not in the credit. I'm not getting a cut of any of that major shaft in my eyes. I was like, I think I went on Facebook and I even tagged MC Mario. And I was like, this is what just happened. And I'm sorry to hear this. But I, I again, I had to power. You have a responsibility to speak. And I was like, I need to speak about this because people need to know that these things are happening. So. I am very glad you shared what you shared. Cause like a lot of people don't know how this works. They don't necessarily understand the opportunity and how it works. And, just somebody hit me up today and said, yo, a famous person like my shit. Does that mean I made it? Now, secretly, I think this guy's trolling me for fun, but it got me thinking. There are probably people. Maybe he's mad sincere. I don't actually know. I think, oh, either yeah. way, that's not important. It's just there are people who feel that way. Like, yo, I got a little attention from a thing or this or that. Or there's like one moment is going to make a difference. And not to say that they don't. Of course, every fucking moment makes a difference, right? But as we already discussed, it's like the summation of your life that created the opportunities that allowed you to, you know, be in this MC Mario situation to get fucked over in, which is unfortunate. And I, I know I'm not trying to disrespect anyone. I don't even know if MC Mario knows a thing about this, right? Like it's not like, name, but it's my story. So shoot, you know. Yeah, you know, I'm not. I'm just. I'm just covering my bases. But no, like your yeah, story is your really. story, your truth. It is what it is. I just. It's like we don't know anything. We just know this happened to you, and it's super fucking unfortunate. And there are people who made bank. And that's what I think you were alluding to because the shit's not and for sale. And people song and don't know it's me. Yeah, I just, I felt so used, man. It was crazy. Yeah, I felt that one. And it's like, because the thing is, is how many times do you see that? Look for it. You might not pay attention to this, but go look for it in the future. Like how many times you don't know who the fuck the singer on a track is that's just in the hook, etc. Yeah. That's just there because like... It is what it is sometimes, and I'm glad you shared your story. I don't want you to feel like you shouldn't share those things. That's exactly the kind of stuff where in a platform like this, again, it's no disrespect to MC Mario and his people. It's, it's what it is. It's no. what happened at the time. And yeah. people need to know that when dealing, especially with something like a beach club, there's money involved, so you need to get paid for that, or it's not even worth it. It's like you might believe exposure is worth a lot, and it might be if you know how to pimp that situation, 
but most people yeah. don't so they just get exposure and then it goes nowhere right. and there's no momentum exactly. and there's no buzz and there's no follow-up or anything so it's yeah. super important to bring out the fact that like when you actually checked them about the money and they were trying to rebrand your identity like yo think about the consequences of that everyone that's like somebody trying yeah. to change your fucking literal name for nothing yeah. Yeah, and you drop my wisdom. It was like, well, you're not really known yet. Does it really matter? It's not like you have a million people who know you as Misty. And I was like, no, but I know myself as Misty, and that matters to me because I, how do I rep Misty after that? You know, I'm, you know, whatever. Mm. I respect that you shared that a lot. That's real cool. Of course. All right. So what happens after right. MC Mario? So after that, um, that was 2009. I'm still posting covers on YouTube. Um. So 2009, 2010, or 11. Yo, you got to understand. Hold on. Can we pause that? Who the fuck yeah. is actually in 2009 on YouTube uploading covers? Now, we don't... Not a lot of people actually know how significant that is. That's not, like, mainstream. That's mad niche. <laughs> how did you, like... How did you get to doing that? Like, I mean, you said it before, but it didn't really click how early in YouTube it was that you decided to open a YouTube channel and shit. Um, I honestly, it was a lot of my peers, especially the few that were going to Dawson and stuff. Remember I told you there was like mm. some artists, they were doing their thing and they were performing and they were like posting stuff to YouTube. And so I very quickly understood that YouTube was a platform to expose yourself. Um, and so I figured, okay, well, and it's also a good catalog to keep your your stuff so that when people do find out who they who you are, they can go to your YouTube and see, A, how long you've been uploading for. So you're not just new. To me, that also said, like, it's like having shows under your belt. You know, it's like you can date back as far as 2009. So if you meet me in 2011 and you're like, OK, so you're new. Do you have like where can I find you? Um, you know, I'd be like, well, um, you know, this is my YouTube channel. And it was just big back then. Like there was a lot of people posting stuff. Blogs were big too. I was editing a lot too. I always used to love to edit. So I did a couple blogs at one point. I think I took them down now because I was like, what the hell was I talking about? But I was trying to like, you know, Yo, it was the visibility. That's what really it was. Nifty. Visibility. So somebody I was talking to who has done a lot for me in recent times told me that when, when they found me on YouTube, the first thing they did was check when my first video was. I don't even yeah. know people did that. And the fact is, is the one thing I noticed about your YouTube channel is the vast number of videos you have uploaded. And if you ever scroll through her YouTube, it's a lot of different stuff. It's not just like I sing. It's it's a lot of stuff that is just showing the vast world and universe that is Natasha Marie. So I think it's cool that uh you were just involved in youtube throughout all of this and like it was just part of your like world because it's so forward yeah. thinking but if we take a little knowledge nugget out of what you said to everybody watching you might be sitting there going with a good idea going yo but i'm not anybody right now but yo if you look at a like a guy like casey neistat he just had a good idea and he started vlogging about his good idea it's more complicated than that but the simple version is he did that for a while and that shit popped off because he just vlogged the process and in a sense it's like you've you through youtube maybe not directly vlogging but it's like you captured the the process of yes. um all of this and the I journey think it's super nifty the behind scenes yeah 
it adds some hella weight to what you're saying in a way where other people might be harder to research. And I think um, one of the things that we are trying to rectify in this universe of Montreal is the internet presence. But yours is like profound, and I think a lot of people have slept on you. But yo, we got a good question from Ismail Gadamsi. Okay. And shout out Ismail. He's been with us from the beginning of the stream. Uh, why is most of your music not on Spotify? Which is a great question, because if it was there, I'd listen to more of it. <laughs> because um, I actually, uh, of all the catalogs, of all the songs in my catalog, there was only a few that I really felt um, were of that stature. I don't think I know is up there, but I know is on my SoundCloud. And that's like the first jazzy type song that I've ever done. And on SoundCloud, it has like over 10,000 plays and, and a whole bunch of comments. And it climbed to that very quickly. So I, I, maybe I should get that up on Spotify, but I honestly just the business aspect of it. Um, I, it's just, you know, when Spotify came out, everyone jumped on it and I was just like, yeah, okay. I, I don't know. I just didn't have much of a, you know, I actually had a couple songs uploaded. Someone helped me. I think it was tech who helped me upload them. I definitely think revolution and warden should be on Spotify. And I was Not like, me. all right, go. Like your whole fucking EP should be on Spotify. That should be there. Yeah. Except. It's again, I was trying to build my name. So I was like, let me put it out for free because I don't want to be disappointed putting it on Spotify and then nobody buys anything. But Spotify so I put is it on not like for sale, right? It's not really how it works. It's a streaming thing. I realize that now. I realize yeah. that now. But at the time, mm, I didn't okay. know. Like Spotify was very new and okay. SoundCloud was where everybody was putting their music. So okay. I just that's the dinosaur in me. Like, oh, I got to put this on SoundCloud. I want it to be free. And I, I think if it's free or whatever, and there's no pressure, because if I thought you had to pay for it, but the, I mean, Spotify, you have to pay monthly. Yeah, but it's not right? just Spotify. So, so check it. You go yeah. to a distro kid. I'm using distro kid. I, I advise you to do research and not just do what I did. Distro kid is like, you're with us for life, motherfucker. And they slap you a little mm -hmm. bit, but you only learn that after the fact, but they haven't fucked me. So I'm happy with them stills. Um, and you basically, there's x amount per year you'll pay regardless who it is or some are free apparently whatever and they just submit it to everything so i pay for spotify because i fucking love spotify i'm not paying for your yeah. music i'm paying because i love the app i like so it's like a streaming thing but on top of that your shit's on youtube right away so you're in youtube and then you get a topic on youtube but then it's also on tiktok but then it's also on this one and then it's also on that one so you're basically putting your music where people are because while you may be worried about people having to pay if you go look at how many people do pay that are willing right. yo the homeboy ismail watched my buddha child interview and has since proceeded to give that man like 10k views that's literal money in his pocket so you're actually denying somebody for me the ability to spin your track on repeat and put dollars in your account because you're not right. putting it there so i think um and i don't mean to like you know put it out like that but it's like no no you're right you're right but i know that not i have that knowledge now at the time i didn't have that knowledge the way i was thinking about it is the only people mm. who are going to stream my music on Spotify are the people who are paying monthly to use Spotify. Which is- Was sorry, that ever a thing? It's still kind of a thing, but it was always free with yeah. ads and weirder. It's not a okay. great experience. I don't know if it's still shuffle only. I've been paying for Spotify um, for so long, I can't remember. It, I love it. I like fucking, thanks. if they jacked it to 10 times, okay, I would have a price limit, but they could up the price on me 
and they know it. And yeah. They, they they instead said, "Hey, your girlfriend can come on, and you guys can just share it, and it's only two bucks more." And I'm like, "Aw, fuck yeah, Spotify! <laughs> I'm doing that." Right. But yo, my, my little limited research is, I'd argue like eighty percent of people pay for one of these motherfuckers, and you're just putting yeah. it everywhere. Yeah. But that's again back when I had put that out. Mm. When did I put that out? 2016. And I was pregnant. I was Yo, six was months very, pregnant. No, no, but let's be real. We're all talk yeah. I'm talking this shit in 2021, mostly because I want you to throw this music on. Is what I'm hinting at. I'm just saying. Ooh, I don't have those. That's beautiful. Yo, That's my first EP. Can we buy it? And I drew that. Is it buyable? It's on SoundCloud, man. Yeah, but yeah I guess I should take question. it off SoundCloud. No, keep it on I SoundCloud. I should take it off. You're ma- it's not about okay. taking Keep it everywhere. Put it everywhere. And okay. put it on fucking Bandcamp, because if that's on Bandcamp, I'll ask that in a second yeah. now. And you you put it for zero dollars, but give people the option yeah. to pay you more. They yeah. can get uh-huh. it for free, and then it's kind of like all of it, right? You're putting it everywhere. You're actually not gating it. But I will never listen to shit on SoundCloud personally. I hate that. It's fucking garbage to me. Right. That's why I pay for Spotify. Well, now, yeah. <laughs> and so we're talking about 2021. So trust, we can talk yeah. about this after. I'll break it all fucking down for you. It'll make mad sense. Um, but trust, we want to. Basically, what I'm saying is, I want to listen to your music in the most convenient way that's possible for me, and that's every human out there. Um, that's yeah. what we're saying. Uh, but Ismail wants to know who made the cover because the cover's fucking fire. Uh, I did. Okay, so short story. Uh, I was in Gunawage, and um, where I was hanging out, there was this. Uh, this, this caterpillar that I had never really seen before. And it was all white with these black spots. And then it had like these tall black lines. You see those? Yeah. Those tall black lines that would stand out. And uh, I actually kept seeing the same one. And I would come to work the next day and it would be there again. And then, so one day it, it made it into my store. And I don't know, yo, me and this caterpillar had the weird connection, okay? <laughs> and I would come into work and I, there was two steps before you open the, the cabin. And I went on the first step and one day it was there again on the step. Like I almost killed it. And I'm like, dude, now I'm all about signs and synchronicity. So it freaked me out. I won't spend too much time talking about this caterpillar, but no, I just, it, it ended up on the front cover for shit. a reason. People love yeah. these weird caterpillar tangents. So go for it. Right. So the cool thing was I was here trying to put together. Now I'm a writer and I believe in having a chapter. I believe in having a title for that chapter. Uh, I'm, I'm a poet. So your title of your poem has to intrigue people. Okay. And the first line is just as important as the last line. And it has to tie back into the title. So I was coming up with like, and that's how I do my songs. And that's why I believe in doing albums because I grew up on albums, especially Christina Aguilera stripped. Holy shit. The production on that in terms of like concept from the first song to the last song tells you everything that she was going through in the order and like what she learned along the way. And you get to see her ascend or elevate. So as a writer, to me, there was like no other, like if any other writers care about this stuff, then they would judge my work according to how I judge my work and other people who make really great productions. So I put that pressure on myself to come up with the concept. That's why I love albums. And I think EPs are just what they are, experimental EPs. I call this an EP because there's only one, two, three, four, five, six tracks, and three of them are interludes. Yeah, but it's really So good. four tracks. 
So yeah, that's what I did. But in my mind, I wanted this to be a whole album anyways. So I had this whole album concept for this EP and it was talking about, um, you know, to me, this was still my come up. It was my first body of work aside from whatever you would find on YouTube and whatever in SoundCloud. Um, and I just cared a lot about the story that I was telling and I actually had a lot to talk about and I found it difficult squeezing it into four songs and one EP, but I made it happen. And I always knew that eventually, and I wish we'd done this in the first hour because I could have definitely tied a lot of stories into this EP, but go check the EP. We can um, always do that in part two. We're going to talk. There again. you go. You know, we're not even like halfway done your story. It's I'm just already, scratching the we, we, we're going through it. This is the first one. Trust, yeah. you're going to be back. Yeah. And uh, I'm telling you, man, that EP is real good. But I love what you're saying about mm -hmm. albums because I'm really into albums. And I do believe that great albums, the ethereal, timeless ones, the ones yes. that people will talk about down the line, are ones that capture a story in some way or another and move it along. You might not always realize it. And sometimes it's really not there and I'm making it up as I go along and I have to admit that. But most of the time there's a good story that carries along the album, even if it's just a vibe. Yeah, especially with me because I have, again, so much that I had experienced in my life that I felt was very hard to put into music. Like that, that stuff I could put in a book, that stuff I could talk about in an interview. But to break it down into like three, four songs or one album or one EP, I was like, how do I, how do, I do this? Like, I don't want to make a sad EP. So there's got to be a rise, there's got to be a fall. We got to touch on certain things, but then find the silver lining. And it just became this, this body of work. That's just how I work. That's how, that's my creative process. And that's how much of myself and my life stories and life lessons that I put into my music or whatever I'm doing at the time, whether it be acting, writing, whatever. So basically, yeah, the Caterpillar followed me to work and one day I walked into work and it was walking along the counter. And I was like, how did you even get in here? And so that was the day I said, you know what? So I was bringing my camera with me everywhere I went and I pulled out my camera and I took a picture, so I went Hold outside. On. I didn't even lotion my hands, bro. You can see all the lines in my hand. But anyway, I had it here. I took a picture. I went on pick stitch, right? And I just mirror imaged my one hand like that so that it looks like two hands, but it's not. It's the same hand, but flipped, symmetrical. And that's why there's two Hold caterpillars. the fuck up. How do you go this long and you're like, Adam, a photographer? My dad was a photographer. I have Your an eye for things. dad was a photographer. Yeah, that's what yeah. you said. Yeah. But now you taking album art in something because yo, that's not just regular album art. Like most motherfuckers, like you know, digital this, digital whatever, whatever. You like, I took a picture of a caterpillar on my hand and I flipped that shit and boom, it's literally just that. I'm like, yeah. holy fuck, that's like, yo. I mean, I don't know about y'all, but I haven't heard a whole lot of people come through and talk about that level of how i made my album cover okay that's a first yo and as is male saying you're versatile but not only in music is crazy because you are like yo when did you start taking pictures that's not the same thing as with your dad like when did you do that shit when did you start you see the uh bro i don't even know man um I don't know. I got a camera as a gift maybe one year and I just went from there. I just, yeah, you know what? I used place. to, I had a lot of things. <laughs> I had a lot of my dad's artwork for a long time and like uh, photo albums of his pictures. And so I, I just was trained. I was, I, that was 
I'm a product of my environment. I grew up seeing levels of excellence in my opinion. And when you grow up with that, right? It's like an artist who travels on the road and their kid becomes a singer, are you surprised? Like, so I was exposed to this type of stuff. So I had an eye for what looked good. I knew how to center my frame. I knew how to not chop your head off. I knew how to capture the whole background. There was just things that I understood. Um, and I think, and I'm really happy that this happened. And so this caterpillar became like my best friend. And I was trying to tell the story of my journey and what better story, what better analogy to tell a story of a journey than to go through the caterpillar that goes into the chrysalis that soon becomes the butterfly. It's talking about your coming out. It's talking about, you know, there was well, most of the beginning of my life was me in the chrysalis or me lugging around all my heavy burdens and then going into this chrysalis and then something happens where all of a sudden I'm realizing, you know, this darkness is not the end of me. It's actually the beginning. It's the beginning. And I'm not trapped. I'm free. And it's a choice that I made. Like, so it was just this really cool story. And it Yo, touches a lot of I the material say, from here. Warden slaps twice as heavy now, right? Because that's a fucking fascinating <laughs> track. Yeah. Because it even shows that in the midst of your chaos, it wants yes. you back. And it's almost like a temptation yeah. calling back to a familiar lifestyle. And it's in the back of your mind or something. Your word in slaps. Yeah. Yo, I'm telling you, I listen to that shit. Like, for real, real. And it, and it hits. Like, it is an excellent project. Like, Thank you. I don't know. And that, that came to me a cappella. That, again, that was that's just a poem. That's a really good poem that became a really cool track. I knew what I wanted to sound. I, Originally, I just had snaps and hums. That's all I had. And then it was like, I heard the wardens looking for me. It's all about like you asshole. All you assholes out there who were like, we're not going to help her move forward. Where do you think you're going to go by yourself? We're going to change your name. We're going to do this. So it's like every person in my life who ever challenged me in attempt to hold me down was the warden. And I knew a lot of people in life have someone, at least one person they can think about on their life's journey so far, whether it be someone in their family, a teacher, somebody who just didn't wanna see them go very far. And even if they didn't physically say it, you knew in their energy, in the things that they did or didn't do, said or didn't say, you knew that they didn't want you to win. And they tried to like block you somehow. They just don't want you to be great. And I actually was referring to someone in particular who was my ticket to Las Vegas. And I'll tell you this, we were in a vodka launch party. The vodka was called Zing. We were in a private party, invitation only, mansion party in Las Vegas in 2012. We were at the Maloof Mansion. The Maloof brothers own the Knicks or did at the time, the basketball team. And they have this family mansion and they throw these private parties and these launches. And because of my connect in Vegas, he would go to this mansion party when he felt like it. It was an annual thing. And he was like, well, since you're in town and it's you know Halloween week, you wanna go to this masquerade ball slash you know, uh, vodka launch party. And I was like, hell yeah. Cause I was all about the exposure, right? So I was like, wearing a black wig, wearing a Halloween costume and wearing the mask from Seven Shades of Grey. And when I bought the mask in Las Vegas, I did not know that that's the mask that was on the front cover of the Seven Shades of Grey book. 
But of all the masks I saw, I bought that one. So I show up in this mansion with that mask on, a black wig, and I'm completely in, in costume. Nobody knows who I am. I'm hiding my pink hair because I did pink for four years. That was a part of my look. That was my marketing thing. But I was in a black wig and no one knew who I was. If I'm from there, if I'm not, they don't know if I'm an actress, if I, they don't know anything. And I use that to my advantage. And that's actually the night that I met Juicy J from 3-6 Mafia. And I do have a picture and I have tweeted it and he did respond and he's like, we will meet again. So yeah, um, Juicy. I jumped, give me a second. I jumped, but yeah, we were in this, uh, this, this party and we were at the cheese table. I'll never forget. And I've known this table. guy for the is cheese it, table is, is like magnificent. Literally, literally different types to cheese this is rich people stuff okay different types of cheese and you're just at the cheese table it was a signature cheese table big ass table big round table and um and you got your little plate you was like picking your hors d'oeuvres and stuff and uh, i knew this guy for about two years and he had helped you know shoot uh two of my music videos and this was my friend that we were networking and i was like anything i can do for you let me know and i'm not anybody right now but just know one day i'm gonna pay you back i'm gonna and he's like don't worry about that I want to help get you places. And that was my first experience where I learned what it's like to go very far, very quickly because of the people you know, and then have it all taken away when they don't get what they want from you. Mm. And so that night in the middle of this dream I'm living, is this for real? We're at the cheese table. And he says, you know, the day you stop talking to me, all this ends, right? And after he said that to me, I was like, okay, my days are numbered because I already knew where our relationship was going, that he was looking for more than I was comfortable giving. Right. And it's like, people might throw opportunities at you. Like they want to help you out, but really they're keeping track of everything they've done for you. And when they're ready to ask you for something, you might not want to say no, or they might remind you of everything they've done for you. It was like the mafia. I was like, okay, wise guy, no problem. So soon after that experience, I come back from Vegas and, living regular life trying to get back you know find a job you know find a new apartment like um i just ended up coming up with this idea for a song and when i wrote the song i was actually signed to an independent label in new york city with tech luciano um and i told the dude the ceo yo i got an idea for a song and before i was actually able to finish the song because he was a producer as well as the ceo um he couldn't produce me a beat that i wanted and I was like, nah, I'm hearing it in my head. So maybe I'll have the beat made here in Montreal. But long story short, I ended up before the song was even done. So I originally wrote it about that dude doing that power struggle thing with me. Mm. Like, you're not going to get anywhere if I don't help you get there. Or if I don't help you get there, good luck. Might take you a long time, you know? Like, um, and so I ended up having to leave this. Um, label because things just weren't working out and the guy was making promises and not delivering and then we realized he had a really heavy drug problem and unfortunately rest in peace he died last month because of his drug addiction um and so you know i knew yeah i saw problems for, uh, i was warning tech i was like this is a problem and he was like yeah but you know he's under control as long as he keeps it under control i said no this is a problem and I can't, I don't feel comfortable being represented by this type of person. So when I decided, you know what, I'm done. Um, tech actually helped me to get out. And the guy was trying to tell me like, you know, I'll, I'll release you for 10, 10 grand. <laughs> I was like, what? 
So Tech had to remind him of a few things, you know, like Silly Rabbit was her own song when she came in here. You didn't provide her with anything except like one small opportunity. But everything she came into this group with was hers when she got you. So what 10 grand, bro? And then I was released. Couldn't really say much to that. I was released. And then I finished writing Warden. So my whole second verse was like talking about the CEO of that label. And my whole first verse was talking about that dude who helped get me to Vegas. I, th I still think it's worth like sharing all this. Like, I mean, it's again, not like to try to like shade anything. It's just your story. Yeah. And I, I don't yeah. mean to like add that preface, but I feel like along the way, maybe some people watch things and not everybody likes everything they're hearing, but it's yeah. your story. And that's yeah. the, how you saw it. That was your perception of a situation. And yeah. maybe somebody else has their version and that's whatever, whatever. But I think it's important that you share this because I personally heard parallels to your story before. I'm not saying that whatever, whatever with names, but I think that yeah. the more people that speak out about actual situations that happen, yeah, you end up in a, you end up in a moment where like everyone else kind of gets more informed off that situation, yeah. and everyone else can make yeah. smarter and better moves off that like moment. So right. thank you for sharing all that. I think it's really it's big. Important. Of course, and maybe if we had a management squad, things would have been different. But again, no protection. It's just us driving to New York City, you know, like, like hoping things go right, mm. you know. So, yeah, it was a lot of sacrifices made, and I and I learned a lot of lessons along the way for sure, and gained a lot of experience. I don't regret any of it. Look, right. I, this book is gonna be crazy because <laughs> they'd be like, "This did all of this really happen?" And oh yeah, we didn't even go into the story stories, but like yeah, yeah, crazy stuff. I feel it though. I think that's what makes me a tough chick too, you know, because you know. You can't fake that. I think um, anybody who goes through loss and tragedy and bad moments in life um, ends up getting hardened, we'll say. And when, yeah, especially no you're in moments where you trust people and yeah. aggression or malice enters the situation, especially yeah. when you're trusting this person and you yeah. think things are a certain way. And then you kind of find out the arrangement's different. It gives you yeah. kind of shook after, and like in a, in a sense, yeah. you maybe you carry a bigger a bigger feeling of anxiety and paranoia with the next arrangements yeah. you have with people. And certainly, yeah. as time goes on, you learn how to work through things, and you learn how to yeah. love and trust again, and all the positive yeah. vibes that you describe later yeah. on. But yo, sometimes people really can be snaky. Um, yeah. Even even if their heart is in the best intentions and yes. everything yes. from their perspective is they mean well yes. and in yes. their minds they're the hero and you empathize yeah. with all the whys and you even know what the fuck yeah. it is. Sometimes yeah. people still come at you and create moments that force you to reconsider things and that's yeah. when you get kind of hardened in life. And on top of that, yeah. like, yo... Um, I, I, when you have to deal with death young like that, it's also complicated. And when you have yeah. to deal with just, yo, what's up, Solam? Um, when you have to just, what's up, Solam? It's just cool when people pop through. Also, uh, Fire PHX92. Warden, I could see that being, song being played in a Netflix series episode or a commercial. And I have to agree. Orange is the new black. And I don't know why I haven't submitted it yet. 
But every time I would watch an episode, I'm like, yo, Warden, this is, enter Warden. Like, this would be the scene. There was a scene where they all escaped and they were on the beach and they had a few mm. minutes of freedom. And I was like, that's when Warden should have cue Warden. So yeah, yeah, I definitely, yeah. Maybe not yeah. Orange is the New Black. Maybe it's going to be some much better show that gets it. Something much better. Yo, cause yo, the yeah. future hasn't happened yet. This is true. Nah, for real though. I really love your story. I love how much we've talked about. Like, it's actually an insane volume of, like, knowledge nuggets have been dropped and whatnot. I mean, yeah. I think as far as your story goes, we're at, like, what, 2010-ish tops? Uh, well, we jumped uh, to, two well, no, we pretty much kept it, yeah, 2012. 2012 no, there was definitely a lot of stuff in the 12-14. You know, we, we, you start, you did way too many interesting things. Um, yeah. MC Mario thing is 2009 and then yes. it just bolts in terms of you not going into detail and you just kind of skimming over a lot of stuff and like just highlights, which is dope. Yeah. Cause it's the, Cause we have like, long. you know, 30 minutes left, but the part two, we could definitely yeah. get into the meat and the bones of it for sure. That's it. But, I mean, um, yeah. I gotta like, I definitely have to like worry about that 11 time for like the sake of like, you know, it's not a real deadline. I don't actually mind going like past it if shit's all popping. Like I'm swear though, if like all of a sudden we get ten viewers at like eleven ten forty five, I'm gonna be like, yo, Natasha. <laughs> They're like, I wanna see where that is. Yeah. People, you know, some people read books backwards, you know. <laughs> but um I do wanna touch on a few things before the end. Yeah. Cause I, I just wanted to like pause there, you know, just to make sure that, you know, we're, we're only at like 2009, 10, in my opinion, and there's still a fuck ton to talk yeah. about. Cause we didn't even talk about pink hair. We didn't even talk about all sorts of shit. So there's a lot of shit. And cause you've told me a bunch of things that you think is important yeah. off camera. Yeah. So I know there's a lot to still get to. And, uh, yeah. but what's actually really important is what's going on now. And yeah, if we can just kind of touch on your current life, you just dropped a fucking video. You're obviously yeah. doing some kind of moves going on. So everybody saw the video. And as much as I would love to dissect that, I would actually rather you promote what's about to happen in your life and your TikTok game. My TikTok game, I'm actually like learning a lot. Uh, I'm actually on TikTok watching videos and showing love a lot more than I'm posting content. And that's also my way of trying to understand what people like. That's, that's just me doing my thing where I want to see what works, you know, like what makes, like this person got 9,000 views on this video. I see why, you know, uh, it's also a bit time consuming and I do have kids, you know, so um, I got to prioritize and I have had a lot of things I've been working on recently and like building up my TikTok followers and being able to go live is something that I forced myself to do a week ago. I was like, I need to hit 1K. I need to go live. I need to promote my video. That was my like, you know, um, incentive behind it. Um, so I'll definitely be posting more content soon. Um, but uh, I mean, I, I dropped that song on um, New Year's. Um, we shot the video in May. We happened to get three hours of snow in May, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, you know, that video was, was don't die. Am I, am I, uh, that video. <laughs> I know. Yo, I that swear video was I fucking to... made that joke about the numbers going up and it shot up three. So, you know, I'm just. Hey. <laughs> hey. It's... I love you, So, Bonnie. yeah, that video was best. supposed to. Bonnie! That video was supposed to be uh, a little bit more. Um, we had this uh, 
I had this concept to shoot the same shoot in the same location in two different seasons. I wanted to shoot it looking uh, it was spring, right? But the flowers hadn't bloomed yet, and it still kind of looked like the end of winter. And I really liked that because I was trying to touch on the story of you know uh, what's dead versus what's alive, and you know putting something back together that's broken, um, or you know telling the story of having to put something back together over and over and over again, and just showing sheer determination and the work that goes into you know relationships or whatever it is that you feel like you have to constantly um, you know fix and and. I don't want to say the word mother, but that's the best word I could think of right now is to mother a situation and nurture a situation and give it your all, put your heart into it, no matter how many times it fails. And honestly, you can use that in any sense that it makes sense for you, whether it be a career, whatever, right? Um, and then I wanted to go back in the same area and film in the summer when everything was in bloom. And I had this feeling of like the secret garden coming through where she goes to the garden and she discovers it in winter or fall and it's cold and dead or at least it looks dead and then like you know they come back to the garden in the spring and it's like oh my god it's so alive but you never would have imagined that it could look like this when you see it like that you know so i wanted to do like an you know, idea of like, that I wanted actually to... like because i didn't catch that i'm not gonna lie to you i was just like pretty that's as far yeah. as I went with the video, but I'm not really like a yeah. video guy. I could take your lyrics and do wonders with them man, videos, but you yeah. wrote that down. You got a, that's deep um, in the comments. Um, you also got a couple of questions because I, I said, do you have questions? Now's your chance. Yeah. Uh, it's always fun. And yeah, like I said, 11 is not a real deadline. It's more of an arbitrary cool. deadline. It's arbitrary. Beautiful. It's more the okay. girlfriend who cares more than I care, and I love her to death, but it's about the Hi, people, Bonnie. Bonnie. You're wonderful. We all feel you. You're the VIP. Yeah. Um, but Sola Am goes, and this is a cool fucking, cool fucking question to me. How is it that you do it with kids? Because I don't have any. Ditto. Uh, and neither, so Bonnie also doesn't have kids, but I always wondered how it would be like, and if I'd have one doing this and, um, that's a relevant question in my life as, um, let's just say we're being a little risky. Uh, so like, yeah. um, like, you know, with the idea of kids is very prevalent on my fucking mind all the time. Well, there's major sacrifices. You have to sacrifice a little or a lot of what you want to do for yourself when you have children, because becoming a parent is one of the most selfless things that you can do, especially if you're a good parent. Um, you have to be present for your children. And for a lot of us, our dreams are our babies until mm -hmm. we have babies. And then we're like, oh, and then it becomes just like this distant dream. And then you're like, am I stupid to keep chasing this thing? Especially if I'm at a certain age and I've only gotten it to this point. Um, because I didn't just wake up one day in my 20s and decide I wanted to do music and then had kids seven years later, because this is something that was already so a part of me, and music was so a part of me that it's like I already had so much to talk about in regards to my musical journey before I even got pregnant. That to me, it was like it wasn't even a question of, are you going to give this up now that you have kids? I was like, hell no. Who the hell said that? I have to slow down because I have no choice. But now that my kids are, you know, my smallest, my youngest will be four in February. The oldest is five. Oh, time flies. I, I, we know, we planned the first one. The second one just kicked in the door. So I was forced to like, 
So I, I dropped my first EP when I was six months pregnant and I was living on this dream. I was a little bit delusional at the time, but that's because I didn't know any better. I was naive, right? Um, I was like, I want to drop my first album. And so I started talking about Exflama, the Exflama EP or album, whatever. It was it was a discussion. Should it be an album or an EP? We lean more towards EP. Follow up your first EP with a second wicked ass EP. So I already had written songs. I was already recording. And I mean recording pregnant. Okay, going to Cali's recording. We had a home set up at one point. We started recording there. Um, and I really was like, I'm going to push, I'm going to push. But then the reality was uh, one kid was difficult enough. Two um, was a lot. And so there was a point where I felt like, uh, not that I ever wanted to give it up, but when I realized how much time had passed and, you know, I ended up not being able to do the second EP, do Exflama as excited as I was about it, as much as I had promoted it, uh, life was telling me, you got bigger, bigger priorities right now. People can wait. And, and from time to time, I'd have people like, you still do music? And I was like, it, w- it broke my heart. Honestly, it broke my heart. There was times where, especially with like pregnancy hormones, where I was like, do I really have to kiss my dream goodbye? But I'm a tough chick and I didn't come this far to give up. And I always, you know, would admire those um, entertainers that would bring their kids on tour, you know, and a lot of us might think it's delusional, but I think a lot of people think that these people are delusional until they make it happen. And then when they make it happen, and we sit down and interview them, we're like, thank you for continuing. Thank you for not allowing parenthood to stop you. Thank you for coming back. Thank you for coming back with the bang like you never left. Thank you for not giving up on your dream. Mm-hmm. And again, I feel like I was, I have many purposes in this life. I'm aware of that, but this musical journey for me, um, there's no point I have reached so far that I have said, I'm making a decision to stop because I need to be a parent now. I was just forced to slow down and it was hard. And I had, I cried a lot, you know, but I'm finally at this point where my kids are old enough. And with my current situation, I actually have a little bit of spare time. So it's kind of ironic how it all turned out. But now I can actually focus on myself a so few days a week. It's, it's big though that you said that. Firstly, you're not the first parent I asked the question like this too. Um, the comments went nuts at my little uh, comment, uh, apparently. <laughs> so you might, when you watch this back, see some fun stuff appear on screen. Hell yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. I'll be all up in the replying to everybody, okay? Because I'm um, that chick. But uh, basically, um, I think it's cool because, yo, there is this hit that all parents seem to talk about. And I've averaged it at about three years tops, three to five years. You know, kids. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, it's like your life on pauses, even if you have more. And that's what's crazy is even if you have more, it's like your life is like permanently unpaused. And then what's crazy is that like even so I was like, yo, it's inspirational that you said that because, yeah, it's not like fucking simple, right? It's not simple. (laughs) Nothing in life is. Nothing in life worth having is. But what people don't necessarily understand prior to kids is that like all the parents that really wanted it got it. Yeah. Because so they didn't give up on themselves. That. Of course, it meant that much to me. But mm-hmm. I, you know what? I will tell you that a situation like that literally forces you. It brings you to the fork in the road. And I sat at the fork in the road for about three years of like, how much do I want to sacrifice? And, and if it doesn't get any easier, what if it doesn't get any easier? And that's why I say, ironically, the situation as it is right now, you know, like Tech and I are not together. And we do have days where we have the kids alone 
And so we're kind of like part-time single parents now, very cooperative. And I have to say that for anyone paying attention, because we did have a lot of um, mutual fans, I don't want to call them fans, supporters, like a lot of his supporters became my supporters, my supporters became his supporters, because that's what, you know, um, uh, that's what a, a successful supportive couple does. Yeah, they support fair, each how other. Many, you, you say that real lightly, but then you have yeah. how many tracks together where y'all sound like power couple fire? Yeah, okay. we didn't actually we didn't even do that many like we had so many planned and we had like low key recorded a few and just was like, mm -mm, you know, we got to fix that. We got to fix that. Um, but like we had just we were just doing so much at one point, especially when we were with that label, like we had so, started a lot of songs, but decided not to put them out. So we had a few. All right, so we actually have one that. that is still going to come out. Oh, it's dope. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, it's really dope. <laughs> we got comment updates so the yeah. fire phx 92 pointed out that like nelly furtado did it and you're pulling a nelly furtado and nelly furtado's dope so you're you're doing that that's fire Merker miyagi shows up at the fucking end hey! of shut up Kelly. your bigger how side. wicked is silence though they they still haven't heard silence though mm. You guys are going to like that one. I'm going to like it because I think we've heard like a lot of your songs today and they were all dope. Even that acapella mo thing you did. It was fucking amazing. Don't even get me wrong. Uh, so uh, he says nothing harder than juggling kids in a dream because they both need 100% of your attention. But y'all can pull it off with time management. It's not simple. Yeah. Um, no. We, we do have more questions and don't get me wrong. I'm yeah. fucking loving this. This is fun. If y'all have more questions, feel free to add them. I even like pause the chat. So fire phx 92 uh, added, okay, is there one female and one male artist in Montreal that Natasha would love to co collaborate with? I often say I'm down to collaborate because I am. I'm down to collaborate with anybody who I find is dope. I mean, top of my list, Rico Blocks and I have been talking for a long time about collaborating. Um, we actually had a, we performed together at um, Under Pressure, that graffiti convention. Um, that was awesome. That was thick. Um, I, he's been hot, you know, he's been a dope lyricist from time. And he was one of those people back in 2009 that was like, we, we all hit a lick. Like we were all like putting out music or we were just like on the timeline, you know, promoting something at some point. Um, but we don't have, we have only one song together. And that's a shame. So definitely Rico Blocks is one of those people from the past that it's just like, hello, we actually are planning on working on something. I have sent him some stuff. You know, he's got to go back to the producer and update the beat. But like, we're actually trying to do that. Um, aside from Rico and that other song that's going to come out with Tech, and, I, and I'm really happy that I still want to put that song out because it's just something that people need to hear. And I think that's cool that that when you when you collaborate on a project that transcends your own personal situation, it's like, you know, that this needs to go out, people could feel this. And because it, it's, you know, based on a true story, I think it means that much more. Um, so definitely Tech also. Um, oh, man, there's, there's a bunch, man. Uh, Miriam Stacey, would love to do oh, something she's with her. Dope. Yes, yes. And I've been knowing about her since Logics. Okay. Like we're going back like 2008, 2009, Dawson days. I think she was going to Dawson at that time too. There was a lot of big heads at Dawson during that period of time that 
passed through, went to the school or performed at it or whatever. So that was pretty cool. We were like low key little mini celebrities. And we all kind of like all this time later, some of us are here, some of us are here, but we're all still kind of doing something, which I think is really cool. Um, I don't want to leave anyone out, but those are the ones that really pop off in my mind. Uh, fun fact, I'd love to work with Husser. The fun fact is, you know, Husser used to be a part of, he was a duo with this other cat named uh, Chris and um, they were the poster boys. And uh, they approached me in like 2010 or 11 or 2012, because I was in and out of Vegas. Um, and we actually worked on a song and we recorded it. And I actually uh, have a snippet of me, I think on YouTube and I may have taken it down or it may still be up there. And we performed it at Drex Studio at 1180 on St. Antoine when he moved upstairs. And, um, and that was a really cool track. And I was sitting down with their manager at the time and we were like, let's do this. And then uh, I think that's when they were making the merge. I think they started going solo. I, I think they changed their manager or something. And then that song never came out. And I remember hitting them up like, hey, what's, what's going on with that? And like, hey, well, you know, and I was like, okay. So that sucks. Cause that we would have had that under our belt. So I still want to work with Husser. I feel like we have unfinished business. Um, and I love what he's doing for the city. And I'm yeah, um, like, really happy. I would argue that he's one of the people who has inspired me the most in recent times. Um, yeah. Like, let's be real. I did my contest shit now, but who did it before me that I noticed in Montreal, the jelly challenge, yo. Remember when, Nate Huss paid Merker Miyagi $50 and posted it in his stories. I just fucking stole the idea directly from him. I'm like, yo, if Nate Huss does it, that's a smart idea. I'm going to do that. But I didn't know. I didn't know. But the thing is, I only heard about Husser, <laughs> right? Nate Huss, when I was pregnant when I was forced to take a seat back. And the cool thing is I wasn't doing anything like putting out music or anything. I dropped mm. my EP and then that fizzled out. But, you know, let's keep in mind that at this time when I was just, you know, stepping into motherhood, Tech was working at K103. And mm. so he was on the radio and he was interviewing these people. And I remember when he was like, yo, I'm, I'm you know, I get to sit down with Nate Huss. And I don't remember if it was, he sat down with him when he was at K103 or if it was when he was at Makeway, but either way, Tech had a show with DJ Blaster for a good two years, maybe even three years between K103 and Makeway. So, um, during that point, I'm at home raising kids and I'm listening to the interviews and I'm tweeting next up playing like I was kind of like low key a part of the radio station in a sense because I was like, whether people are tuned in or not, I'm posting, you know, these tweets about, you know, I was just really interactive and I would hear a lot of music and a lot of artists and, and there was a lot of breakthrough or breakout artists coming out during that time when I was taking a seat back or maybe they were always there, but I only really noticed them when I wasn't focused on my own music. So now I'm listening to the radio and I'm like, this is cool being back here, pregnant, chilling, because now I'm hearing what's happening in this city. Mm. And I told you this already, when I'm in right mode, I don't listen to other people. I refuse. I'm kind of like weird like that. I'm a little, I, I, I compare Trust myself you. to- You're really legends. not alone though. You are seriously yeah. not. Not everyone's like that. I'm the opposite. I'm a slut with it. I'm going to be all up in there listening to whatever I can, and I'm, I'm going to be versatile. I'm all over my yeah. taste. Uh, I want to yeah. mask it, but like, I really like what you're saying. Cause there's a bunch of people that it's even people like I really look up to who like really, uh, do that. Like, I think we just did an Aesop rock project and he was describing being in a barn by himself with no influences at all, just creating yeah. alone, detached from the yeah. entire world. And yes. there's like a huge appeal in something like that. So like, I don't yeah. think it's weird. I think it's just a creative process and it's the one that you fucks with. Well, when you have. 
like when you have content, when you have real life story and you just, all you have to do is tap into a, a point in your life or a lesson you've learned or a certain life love story, or, you know, when you have, I have content, there's never a time where I'm like, you know, I think if I was in the game for 10 years, album after album after album, and I run out of content, then I'd be doing things like I moved to Arizona for three years just to get some inspiration, you know, but uh, when, as long as you have something to talk about, I have stuff in the vault, things I haven't even, you know, that haven't made it to my music yet. So when it comes time to create, the first thing I do is not look outward. I go inward. I go back into the chrysalis. So I don't, I'm in my zone. I don't want to listen to anybody. To me, it's cheating because I know how my brain works and I'm highly inspired. It doesn't take much to become inspired. I get goosebumps. I get chills. I'm like, oh my God, it doesn't take much. So I don't want to, when I've decided to be in right mode, I don't want to go listen to what this person's doing and what that person's doing, because I might hear something in what they're doing that says, oh my God, that's a cool idea. And to me, that's cheating. I care so much about my art and my story. What the am I doing listening to someone else to get an idea? Even if it's not on purpose, it rubs off. Good things rub off. So if I listen to Miriam Stacey's project while I'm in right mode and three out of her seven tracks are fire and it makes me like think about something that's similar that's cheating that's cheating you know to me that is personal like that you know like erica badu i'm an artist and i'm sensitive about my shit so when i go oh, in way. i don't want to hear anything from anybody i just gotta throw it out there like for yeah. all the real reels you're describing your creative process it's just cool to yeah. hear it right like yeah. this is some shit that's yeah. actually kind of nifty um yeah. It's like, I don't approach it like that. But at the same time, when I think about albums, I spend about a year, a year and a half trying to conceptualize the project before I even really approach it at this point. So I spent yes. a lot of time marinating and that's just how I go about yes. it. But I actually Absolutely. know what the fuck you're talking about because I hear it all the time. I'll listen to some hot shit and now I'm fucking saying they're slanging shit. Like it just happens yeah. to me all the fucking yo willie just showed up again like people are coming back what now up? that's how hot this shit is yo natasha this is what all up? you this is your fire this is your energy and your thank spark you. and your fucking everything yo thank you i will say this though okay um i also believe in hearing something really hot and it triggering a certain part of you now this is where it's subjective. Like if you're the kind of artist who is constantly looking for an idea and you know that you need to go listen to what other people are doing so that you can compete with them, meh, 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 that's different. It's a little shisty to me. I have so much respect for true artists that if I listen to something they've done and it hits me a certain way and it, it inspires me to do something, it's not going to inspire me. I'm not going to listen to someone's auto-tune and be inspired to go do auto-tune. Right that's copying and i respect that person's art and i would never do something to someone else that i wouldn't want someone doing to me period that shit's in the bible okay so i have so much respect for certain like real artists that if i ever heard anything that they did and it made me inspired to do something for myself where it would inspire me is not in their lyrics so much or in their cadence or in their whatever it might be the beat it might be the actual sound of their music. It might be loungy or something. And I'll think, man, that really gets me in a groove. And then all of a sudden, like, it'll activate something in me. My lyrics will be completely different. 
the, the notes I sing in, the keys I sing in, the, my, you know, my topic, whatever. But if it inspires something in me, it's only because it's lighting the creative spark that's already there. It might just be a bit dormant. But I find that um, talent is um, contagious. Like when I hang around my girl Kizzy and I go to her house and I see all of her paintings, the painter in me goes, why don't I paint more? Look at this. And like it lights my flame but i'm not going to go and start painting flowers because i saw all of her paintings are flowers that's cheating you know that's disrespectful so that just in like defense of you know i don't listen to anybody when i'm in right mode like there's my reasons for no, but like, why those are that. really like valid reasons so here's like the thing um i try really hard to listen to so much that i can't do yeah. that so it's yes. like I try to achieve yeah. the same goal via a different tactic, and a part of it is like yeah. I'm doing album reviews. Like, what choice do I have, really? I'm gonna like I'm yeah. I'm gonna keep listening to music, but at the same time, I find it like fun because if you really, really pay attention, <clears throat> um, you'll find like about a hundred, two hundred influences if you really, really pay attention. Yeah. To yeah. what I'm doing, I'll even shout out people, pay homages and shit, do little bars here That's and there. That's big. Do that, people. Do that. Like, Jesus. I, I tucked a little fucking Scarface thing into the weirdest synth pop shit I did. And it's like, yo, I don't give a fuck if anyone catches it. That's where I'm at. Like, if people get it, they get it. If they don't, they don't. Um, For sure. But I'm going to try to write more marketable music on my next shit because I actually want people to give a fuck. And that's on me. Yeah. If you want people yeah. to give a fuck a little bit, facts of the game is write some marketable yeah. shit. Marketable doesn't that's mean right. pop. It means find uh -huh. a market and make it marketable to that market exactly. and like there's you know, demand respond to the demand yeah and like sure there's being true to yourself and all of that good stuff but then you get the feedback and if people who have good taste consistently have similar feedback okay maybe there's something to your game that might be a little bit you need to flip it up or something but then i started talking to producers and realized how complicated i made shit for no good reason just my yeah. whole life was complicated with music for like no good reason so overthinking it yeah so i'm saying is that it's like it's really cool to hear you describe your process because again it's something interesting and it's something that like you're, you're kind of pointing out rules to this how to avoid being called a biter is kind of yes! what you're doing sorry <laughs> yes yes so i think it's really important like you don't want to have somebody listen to your shit and be like you sound exactly like now listen if somebody goes hmm, you remind me of some five famous people that's kind of a compliment right. right that's just i mean you right. can't avoid that there's too many famous people yeah. but exactly. If people can point to the exact local person who dropped that shit three months before and you sound exactly like their shit, it's possibly yes. not a good look. No. And then are you really an artist if you if that's the low you have to low to? If that's how you have to stoop, you know what I'm saying? And this is a perception thing. So, yo, for people watching this after the fact, and I hope we have a clip out of this, I'm not going to lie. I want to know the answer to this one because I don't know the answer to this. This is a perception thing. I don't want to challenge you or say right or wrong on this one because here's the thing. I fucks with your opinion. I really do. But then Thank there's you. a time and place thing. So if yeah. like an 18-year-old is doing this shit, right? I'm actually in a way different mind space than if like a 32 year old is doing this shit. And like, I mean, there's so many factors to it. So I guess yeah. that's why I want to know what people think, you know? Yeah. Um, 
But like in general, I generally agree with you. If you want to have longevity in this thing, you need your own identity. And your identity yes. should not be based on other people. But at the same time, I also come from the era where like every white dude kind of sounded like Eminem for a minute. So at the yeah. same time, it's like we all like have a journey to get to that point of our artistry. So I don't want to be like, yo, just because you aren't doing what Natasha says doesn't mean you won't get to this place of beauty in your art right. form. You know, like it's a journey. And yeah, so I just want to like put thing. that down. So that's Absolutely. why I think it's a cool topic, actually. And I think that your perspective on it is fucking valid as fuck. Like I said, I'm kind of biased to your side on this one. Um, Thank you. I also, that's also coming from the, when everyone goes left, I go right. That's mm -hmm. a part of my personality and it's never going to change. And I think tied into my creativity, that will always set me apart. And I think that's a superpower. So it means a lot to me. And I think it's cool. I think you've thought a lot about your brand. I think you've thought a lot of, I mean, we haven't really touched on it. Like I, I really sincerely hope we schedule a part two and like fucking continue your story. Sure. Cause like we got a whole For decade sure. at least to really unpack like the more yeah. relevant decade with all the YouTube footage. And that's why it's right. dope. So we did a big introduction to who you are. And for the people that watch yeah. this in the future, there is absolutely going to be like a lot of reference material that we can pull on. Yes. You can tell them go watch yeah. that. It'll make more sense. Um, and yeah. if it takes seven interviews to get your story out in full, <laughs> I'm happy. It's a you're, book, man. You're an entertaining <laughs> guest. Listen, Thank you. I don't go past 11 for just anybody in life, okay? Thank you. That's like I'm risking girlfriend wrath. Okay, that's Thank risking you. and I'm, I'm being hyperbolic because people like it when I make jokes and then she fucking shows yeah. up in the comment and goes, bleh, 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 whatever, that's fine. We, we love each other. It's, <laughs> it's just how we do. Um, but yo, I just fucking appreciate you being here with me and making this entertaining and good. I know I'm, I'm, I'm a little tiredy poo and a couple little blunders, yeah. like, you know, mixing yeah. stuff up. It happens in life. We roll through Crazy. it. Um, but I think we drop plenty of knowledge nuggets a lot of things about how to live your life that forgiveness shit really stuck with me it was big your martyr yeah. perspective is fucking fascinating contract are important is yes. a big part of it yeah. all representation in general yes so all of these things are fucking big all of these things are fucking interesting and all of these things fucking matter and that's kind of what we're all trying to do right we're all trying to like create an ecosystem where we highlight all the different things that matter to different peoples and we yeah. ensure that we share this stuff. So this is the yeah. first part of your story. And thank yeah. you everyone for coming through. So for everybody that just showed up at the end, here's how Twitch works. We raid motherfuckers. So y'all gonna fucking bump onto DJ Bobby Payne, right? And he's gonna hey. have tunes playing. And y'all are gonna go to him and you're gonna hit that motherfucking follow button and y'all are gonna refresh the page, right? So that he gets like views because raids don't count for your stats. It is what it is. That's not really here nor there. So y'all are gonna go do that. For the people in the future watching this, uh, thank y'all for real because you is gonna be in the future. We appreciate y'all because again, without y'all, like, you know, it's, it's not really a show. And a lot of y'all stuck it through on the live. It's at 15 now. It's fucking nuts. Um, so I appreciate y'all for real. It was the most important stuff. Do you have any like final words to the peoples before just, I do my little wrap up? Just the usual, the, the usual wrap up is I just dropped a video for structure. Go check that out on YouTube. Follow me on everything is Natasha Marie TNT. My Instagram got hacked. So I'm Natasha Marie underscore TNT. So follow me on everything from Twitch to TikTok to whatever, Twitter and everything. 
um, and I'll be posting more content and I'm in the booth and I'm writing and we're working on more videos and there's a featuring with uh, Smoke and Ink coming out. So like, just keep watching, click the notification bell on YouTube so you know when things drop. Amazing. That's about it. So for people in the future, links in description. Um, and yo, it's fucking dope. Bonnie, if you want to link that, that would be super wonderful. Um, if you can find Thank that. Thank you, Bon Bon. If not, hold on. I can do it because maybe Bonnie doesn't have you like, ready quick. I can do it in like a lot faster time. So sorry, y'all. You're going to deal with it. I'm, I'm linking an Insta, okay? I'm linking an Insta. Okay. It is what it is. Uh, Bless. Give me a second. But don't leave yet, everyone, because we want to... Y'all make me look fucking cool if I come in on the raid looking hot with 15 people, yo. That makes us all look sexy. It makes the channel look a little sexier. So shout out. Also, follow We Speak English Good, who's in the chat. They do some fucking fresh-ass content. So if you fuck with this, you'll probably fuck with them. Follow them. That's what's up. Um, end of the day, though. Love y'all for watching. Subscribe to the channel if you fuck with this shit. Again, future sound bits. So subscribe to the channel if you fuck with this. Like the video. Follow whatever platform you're on. And yo, special thanks to the patrons. Ismail Gadamsi, Chris Prado, uh, Jonathan Barnes, DJ Black Hurricane, Linda Williams, Scribble. And I guess shout out to the subscribers. I don't know how deep I'm going to go with it. But for now, Merker, fucking Golden Jenny, fucking Willie Scandals. Um, and then shit, I'm forgetting somebody and I feel like an asshole, but it is what it is. Um, end of the day, I love y'all. You're wonderful people who make this, make it a lot more fun and sustainable in my life. Not like money wise. I mean, psychologically, okay. It is not about money. So the psychological support of like, literally there are people watching this shit. You don't understand how much that means to us seeing comments seeing the interactions. It's like, yo, I was doing YouTube with average watch times of three to five minutes on like 50 minute videos it crushes your fucking soul this is so invigorating and inspires me and it's all because of y'all who are watching this so anyway on that note i'm gonna just record a little part live long and prosper everybody